Hi, it's Ruth Connell. I played Rowena on Supernatural, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is still locked down but not locked out. I'm your host Craig and we're here to discuss just some stuff, some stuff in October and before that's been announced and trailered and all that. We're just catching up on all the stuff that we don't get to talk about elsewhere. So first up, joining me on this, in a recent poll of who is the best Chris, he didn't even place. So Chris Pratt, you can at least take comfort in that. Hi Chris. Hello. Sorry about your loss in the big who's the best Chris poll, but them's the breaks. I mean, I didn't realise that I wouldn't even come within the top 1,000 of Chris's. That was kind of disappointing. That's it's not the best, but you need to raise your profile a bit. Finally do that Expanse podcast, that'll push you over the top. <laughs> and next up, word has it that he didn't even vote for Chris. So, Aaron answer for that are you just taking out your covid frustrations on us by the way because this is not the best way to start a podcast i don't think just what with just casual insults just casual insults and negative energy just to really <laughs> cheer us up <laughs> i was just trying to be topical with the who's the best chris poll that was on twitter and went viral and now we all have to hate chris pratt for reasons oh, so right okay topical yeah. relevant i didn't even get it it's topical, but by the time this podcast goes out, topical everyone will have forgotten insults. about it. Now we know where we stand. Well, let it not be said that I'm not on the pulse of pop culture. Insults. <laughs> and insults, yeah. You really know how to bring people down, and in the most modern and up-to-date way. Well, I'm down, so everyone's coming with me. That's the way I'm looking at it. That's excellent. Yeah. That's such as the ethos of Neil Before Pod. For everything positive, there has to be a negative. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next two hours where we make you feel awful. <laughs> or good. In all fairness to Aaron, though, even I wouldn't vote for me, so that's fine. He's... I didn't even vote. I abstained. A- Aaron is forgiven. Bad. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I spoiled my ballot by voting for Chris Payne and Chris Evans, because who can decide? It's a tough choice. Anyway, enough of that. We're not going to talk about that, because that has a big rabbit hole of other things that or perhaps beyond our remit. So we should just start with a bit of what are we watching? What have we been watching? What are we thinking about watching? So, Chris, what have you been watching? I have been watching. What have I been watching? So I watched uh, The Boys on Amazon, which finished at time of recording a couple of weeks ago, I think. Enjoyed that. Not as much as the first season, strangely enough, but I did enjoy it. I just didn't find it as captivating as before but maybe that's because of the the way it was released you know it wasn't bingeable this time so you didn't quite get the same flow i thought from it but obviously i'm in a slight minority because it's done very very well and been renewed for like a billion more seasons well it would have been bingeable you would have just had to wait eight weeks yes but i was an impatient binger Yeah, I watched The Boys season two. I was actually up to date with it. 
I think I was only ever late by a couple of days. So unlike the last season where it had been about for a month and no one was talking about it anymore, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch this. And then see if it would. And everyone's like, that, that that old thing that I watched like a month ago. There's been a full season of Stranger Things since then that I watched <laughs> also a month ago and I've forgotten. So, yeah, the binging side of things does have its drawbacks, I think. And I think it's The Boys is not designed to be consumed week to week, but that was how they chose to release it because it might keep Amazon Prime subscribers a little bit longer, probably. So that's that. But I, I did enjoy it. And I don't think we should go into too much detail because might spoil it and Aaron have you seen it I've actually not seen it so let's not go into too much detail (laughs) yeah the point the boys ends season two ends at is kind of where the comics start apparently which since I've not read the comic I don't know the ins and outs but apparently the first two seasons could almost be seen as a prequel to the comic so be interesting to see what kind of a a more maybe not faithful but a more one-to-one adaptation will be like next season which it's definitely getting so it was good. I enjoyed it. And there was things about it I liked a lot. And I didn't really mind consuming it week to week. Well, it's funny to see people were review bombing it because of the release schedule rather than the actual quality of the show, which baffles me, really. As much as I didn't get the same flow from it, I do understand the reasons for spreading these shows out, especially at the moment when they're not able to produce as much content and they're going to have little gaps in their schedule that they maybe weren't planning on. It does give you that opportunity to catch up with people and talk about a show, because I think we've mentioned this before when we've talked about streaming services. But if you have a show that's bingeable, you'll have some people that finish it in a weekend, other people who finish it in a week, and other people who finish it over the next two or three months. And it means that those people can't really have a conversation about the show because you're constantly sitting there going, oh, what episode are you up to? Oh, you're up to that bit. Right. Uh, What was before that? Oh, I don't want to go into spoilers and I don't want to ruin anything. So, um, And then it kind of stifles your your conversation about it. So it is a bit nicer when it's spread out sometimes because you can have that bit of a sort of shared anticipation for something coming up. Yeah, what episode are you on? Four. Oh, I finished it. Oh, well, end of discussion. Yeah, that's mm. unfortunate. I always find that unfortunate because usually it takes me ages to get round to the big bingeable ones other than the one or two that I felt like I had to see sort of day one or over the first weekend, in which case I was able to contribute to that very brief window of conversation that was happening around it. But the window doesn't last long. We've talked about that before, how a week or so later and people have kind of forgotten about it because there's something else out or it's just something they watched a week ago rather than something they're waiting for over the next few weeks sort of thing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the boys maintains this release structure or if it will start tailoring the seasons towards that release structure or not. So who knows? Anything else you've been watching, Chris? Is that just the boys? Star Trek Discovery is back. So we are two episodes into Star Trek Discovery now. It's been two sort of set-up episodes, but I kind of like the premise. I'm interested in where they could be going. But obviously, there's always that little bit of trepidation going into a, a new season of a thing. So, yeah, it seems good so far, albeit that a lot of, at the moment, is place-setting. And it involves our favourite subject of them all, time travel which, of course, <laughs> you can listen to on the podcast that we haven't yet recorded but is already in your feed because time travel. 
years old and two house moves ago for me, or perhaps two house moves from now for me. Who knows? Several lifetimes ago for me on another planet in a different multiverse. It's just bouncing around the timeline <laughs> and it will appear at some point. Just the Time Travel around. Podcast is there when you need it. <laughs> or when you don't need it, more likely. <laughs> We should just randomly move it around the feed for the podcast. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just take it down and re-release it every now yeah, and again. Just, just every like, once yeah. and again, it pops back up. Yeah. yeah. So Discovering, hot on the heels of Lower Decks, which was a really fun time. Oh yeah, Lower Decks. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's good fun. You can listen to my other podcast about that on a different, well, this isn't a network, but on a network. So that'll be in the show notes. That was it was a good fun show. Good fun. So yeah. So anything else or is that all your No, no. I think that content? pretty much covers most of what I've been watching at the moment. I've been doing a lot of rewatching of old bits. I think I said on the last junk drawer podcast maybe that lockdown has been a time for sort of revisiting movies and trilogies and bits that I enjoyed before or things that I just decided to rewatch. So yeah, been doing a lot of that. Cool. Aaron, what have you been watching? So, yeah, COVID and everybody coming closer together, if you're in the same household, meant I'm in the same boat, really, as Chris, in terms of I've been watching stuff with, with my partner, and, and who's got a completely different taste to me. So we've been watching a bunch of stuff that out a long time ago, which means I've been stalled a bit from watching actual current telly, but I have been making my very slow way through both Supernatural Final Series and Lovecraft Country first series and uh, having difficulty with one but very much enjoying the other which one are you having difficulty with so the first three episodes of supernatural series 15 by the way so just gonna say i'm in the long run i'm gonna watch series 15 it doesn't matter how bad it gets i will watch it and there'll be a podcast. And there'll be a podcast, because I have to. I can't commit to something for 14 years and just give up at the last moment. So, <laughs> but the first three episodes of Series 15 did not enjoy at all. Really got nothing out of them. Fortunately, when I got to Episode 4, and they dropped the cliffhanger from the previous series, and that was all completely resolved, they started doing some much more heavy-duty, or rather more meaningful plots. And I was right back in, so I had trouble with it. But I'm hopeful that I'm, I'm now back. That's what supernatural does. It pushes you to the edge of, oh god, this is getting a bit grim. And then it just does something that, oh yeah, I remember why I love this show. And then you're, yeah, you're back. You're ready for more, and you don't want it to end. Or maybe that's just me. I'm still struggling a little bit with the whole monster of the week part (laughs) in there because it's like, hang on a minute, God has decided to end the universe and there's a monster of the week still how, how does that even work so it, there's this pressing concern i mean i could sort of understand oh we don't have any clues for where the next leviathan is so we might as well just twat this vampire fine i kind of get that <laughs> but when somebody's trying to end your reality the whole like oh we don't know what's happening with that we'll just move on for a bit oh werewolf brilliant <laughs> i'm just having trouble with that i think but yeah there's been some good episodes i think it was like four and five i really really liked I can't remember what they are. I'll get the detailed notes out for the actual Supernatural podcast. Yeah, which our first one and possibly the last one. Yeah. Because <laughs> Just don't claim it's the only one on the internet this time, right? 
Oh, it definitely is. There's no way that that fandom doesn't have a million podcasts. But it'll be the best one on the internet, says me. And Lovecraft Country, how is that shaping out? It's finished now, I believe, or the first season is anyway. I'm behind on it, so where is this finished? I'm certainly not. I think I'm only about five in. Although if there is only eight or ten, that's probably quite a way. And I've really been enjoying it right from the start. And the thing that we spoke about when it was my looking forward to Neil before, ages ago, they did actually tackle head-on, which I found very interesting. The whole idea that, well, quite frankly, H.P. Lovecraft was racist. And they actually address it in the plot. And there's some nice reveals when they talk about it, so I won't spoil it for people that want to sort of stumble across it and, and think, oh, that, that, that is actually an interesting way of, of approaching it. But it's one of those that I really enjoyed the first episode, and I find that to be so rare. I hate doing homework, but you always have to acknowledge that the first episode is usually going to be exposition. And here's all the stuff you need to know. And generally, that's really difficult to do. So I don't want to blame people or anything. I understand how difficult it is, but therefore, generally, I don't enjoy the first episode as much. But, but I did with this one, and that's probably coloured my enjoyment of the whole series in a good way since, actually. Cool. Some of the chat I've seen around it from people that I know that have watched it have said that every episode kind of feels like it could be a season finale for another show, in effect. So every episode has that kind of level of dramatic heft to it, I guess. Would you say that's fair or not? I think, for me, it'd be more accurate to describe it that it's very strange to watch because is it, it's only eight or ten episodes, isn't it? Is that right? Something like, Something that, like that, yeah. But there are many seasons within that eight or ten episodes, and you're thinking, what? That, there's not clearly not enough time to do that, but they do. So episodes one and two, three, I think it's either one and two or one, two and three are a contained story. Okay. And then episodes four, five and six contain story. So it does have an overarching plot going through it because the characters are slowly being awakened to a very disturbing reality that they didn't understand nor could have even conceived of. But they do have within that defined journeys that they, they go through and whereas a supernatural has an episodic repeat. In Lovecraft Country, strangely, having a three-episode, whatever the proper way of describing that is, repeat. And therefore, the big climaxes are going to come faster than you're expecting. I'm not sure every single episode had a big climax, but it was always building to it because there was one coming pretty soon. So it, it certainly has that feeling of being on edge all the time. But then that's a good thing because it's supernatural, disturbing horror. You, you want to be on edge. You don't want to feel comfortable. If you did feel comfortable with all the wibbly stuff happening, it'd be wrong. That's cool. And anything else? Or shall we move on to what I've been watching? I'm not watching anything else. Everything else I'm waiting for. Shout out to The Mandalorian. Dune and the Expanse, I suppose. Which will probably have appeared, The Mandalorian anyway, will probably have appeared before this podcast is a thing that you can listen to. Because it is two days away or something like that as of the time of recording. So that's cool. So for me, what I've been watching, it's a bit the same as Chris. I've not been watching an awful lot of stuff that I haven't seen before as such. So I'm kind of in the middle of a 
Star Trek The Next... Or not in the middle. Towards the end of a Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch where I've just added in Deep Space Nine alternately now where I'm just kind of picking and choosing between them as I go. And, and then I might do Voyager. I might not. I don't know. We'll see how I feel when I get to the end of Season 2 of Deep Space Nine and end of Season 7 of TNG. So we'll see how that goes. I watched Glee. I've been picking away at that for months. Finally finished it. And I think it's a worthwhile watch. It's kind of ludicrous and characters disappear without resolving any of their stories completely and you're just supposed to kind of accept it. But it is what it is. And hilariously, the final episode, a good chunk of it is set in 2020 and there's no sign of masks, no pandemic. There's a president that endorses the arts and schools. So I don't know what kind of crazy alternate universe they're living in, but can I live there, please? Because it sounds way better than this one. It's called Glee, so one, one can assume that has coloured it somewhat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it had to have a happy ending. The clue's in the name. The 2020 version is just gloom. <laughs> that's the version that you get 2020 onwards. Yeah, that's it. If they'd have known, what would it have been like five years later, 2020? I had to laugh. And it made me wonder what other things where good things are happening are set in 2020. Because there's a bunch of like post-apocalyptic things that are set in 2020, but there's got to be a bunch of good things as well. There'll be some other show at some point that says that they actually exist in the same universal multiverse as Glee, and then you'll be able to match all these things up dark and light. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's not over yet. So there is a thing that I've been watching that I haven't seen before. It's about a year old called For All Mankind. And it's an Apple TV Plus show or whatever they call their streaming service. It's an alternate history thing where it picks up when the Soviets beat the Americans to being the first manned mission to the moon, or to step on the moon. So Neil Armstrong isn't the first man on the moon, and it's about the kind of aftermath of that and how do the Americans react. And I've only seen three episodes. The third episode is following on from the Russians landing the first woman on the moon. So they're kind of chasing their tails after that. And it's quite an interesting exploration of or less than flattering exploration, really, of American arrogance, because it's this whole, they beat us, we have to throw all our money into this program, and we have to rush things through because we can't let them beat us. We need to establish a base on the moon immediately because we're America, and we can't have Russia beating us to this. And There's a lot of that, and then there's some accidents that happen and some really shoddy decisions that happen because of that mindset, and... It's really fascinating. I'm really enjoying it so far. I only started it the other day, so I'm only three episodes in, but I'm going to keep at it. How preachy is it? Because a lot of these shows, you can really see politics in the production value. The idea that the producers of a lot of more liberal television are so clearly anti-American Republican that it's almost painful to watch. Artists are creating a form of art. So I don't think that I want to say they have to have rules in it, but how preachy is it and how disturbing is it for them to just go, top of America is bad, republicanism is bad? Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily all that preachy. There's aspects of it that are, but I'm interested in the different perspectives that you keep getting. So you get this whole, President Nixon has said, get us a base on the moon quickly. And you've got the people at NASA saying, well, actually, we want to follow the procedures and we want to make sure everything's ready and we want to do this right. So there's pressures coming from different sides and different characters are reacting in different ways. This whole, we need to get a woman on the moon after the Russians have done it. It brings in this whole gender politics around the whole, who gets to go to the moon? And they even have this whole, 
this person's really qualified, but actually they're not as good looking as we'd like them to be for having their face plastered across all the media and so on. So it's things like that. I think it's with the time period that it's set in, you're automatically going to get these inequalities shining through anyway, because it's the 1960s. So yeah, to answer your question, I don't think it's overly preachy. I think everything seems like to me like it makes sense based on their setup and what they're trying to accomplish and them exploring this alternate reality that's been created by the, the fact that the Russians been on the moon. And I've seen people compare it to the Man in the High Castle, which is something that I haven't ever seen, so I can't really comment on that. But it's the same kind of thing in the, that a major historical event goes somewhat differently or very differently. So I'd recommend giving it a watch. I think it's, it's good. The cast are good. It looks great. And it's just immensely watchable sounds interesting that one i've watched a little bit of the man in the high castle but i've not seen any of the show that you were talking about there so i'll need to give it a little go yeah it's only like eight episodes i think the first season eight or ten and there's going to be a second season but as with everything who knows when but we will get a second season at some point and i don't know how the first season ends but it would just be interesting to see this new world that they're creating just be built up as the time goes on who knows how far they'll take it but it it's very trendy to show how much America sucks, I guess. But it feels like a good interpretation of what would have happened if the Russians had won the space race. So yeah, give it a shot. Why not? So that's it. That's the what we've been watching. A less comprehensive list than last time. Interesting. Seems the more lockdown goes on, we're just like, and we're just going to put on the comfortable stuff. Just going to rewatch all the stuff we enjoy because... We don't have room in our brains for any new stuff these days. Just we'll, we'll keep going back to the comfort blankets of television, I guess. Lots of new stuff coming up in December, though. That's the thing. It's like you get these little peaks and troughs, don't you, in uh, release schedules. Yeah. I just haven't been filling it with stuff that I haven't seen that I want to see as much as I thought I would, which is interesting. For All Mankind was one I stumbled across and reminded myself that I wanted to watch it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, it's only like eight or ten episodes. I forget which it is. And that'll be fine. That won't take me long. So I'll cross that off the list. And that's it. It's a, it's a quick view. So there we go. So let's move on to trailers. It's not every trailer that's been released, but it's some of them. I put a list together of the ones that I found interesting in one way or another. So let's start with Monster Hunter. I think looks looks great. Mila Jovovich trying to find another video game movie franchise to add to her collection after Resident Evil. It's army people in jets and helicopters and tanks and stuff fighting giant monsters. What's not to like? I haven't played the game, so the accuracy of the film to game as an adaptation is something I don't know an awful lot about, although I haven't seen a lot of people complaining about it. So it suggests they've maybe done a reasonable job. Who knows? But it looks good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it'll just be good fun. So any thoughts from anyone else? I've also not played this game. The film from the trailer just looks nuts. It is essentially what you say. It is army people fighting massive monsters because portals and things. And I'm guessing not wanting the monsters to cross into our particular world. It just looks ridiculous it's one of those ones that you go that's got to be seen on as big and as ridiculous a screen as possible to appreciate the nonsense that no doubt will spew forth unfortunately 
will be in tier whatever lockdown by then <laughs> and won't be able to. But it is only in cinemas in December, so only that's that. in cinemas. Yes, <laughs> only in cinemas. Only. Oh well, it's going to be only not seen by pretty much anyone. I mean, yeah. 2020, the only thing we've not quite had yet is a giant monster attack, but I can imagine that can only be imminent. Who's got Godzilla on their bingo card for December? <laughs> yeah. Aaron, what do you think of this trailer? I mean, yeah, just what it is. I'm not probably going to break lockdown to go see it, but more because it's probably not my sort of film than I think it's actually going to be bad. I would be interested to know what they do with it. I don't know that I can name a good video game adaption, or at least I certainly can't name one that I've... No, that's not true. I can name one that I've enjoyed, but I don't even know if I would actually ever be able to say that it was a really good adaption, and as in it made a really good film. I personally enjoyed the first Mortal Kombat, but I still don't know that I would say, oh yeah, it was an amazing film. You know what I mean? I can't... It's enjoyable, but yeah, it's not very good. But I guess that's therefore what you're aiming at with these things. You're trying to find the audience that's going to enjoy it. So all I can say is, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not in the target audience for this. So I'll leave it to your and Chris's judgment is probably the best. For a video game, two movie adaptations, I like the Resident Evil films. All but the last one, I don't like the last one. They're not good, but I like them, which seems like a bit of an oxymoron, but there it is. <laughs> I quite enjoy watching them, despite the fact that I know that they're just not very good. Detective Pikachu is a good film. And Sonic is also a good film. So, yeah, there you go. If you haven't seen Sonic, watch Sonic. It's good fun. Okay. See, you've just said good fun again now, which makes me think you enjoyed it, but it probably wasn't a good film. No, it is actually a good film. Yeah. They put some effort into it, but it's also fun. Things can be good and fun at the same time. It does happen. Well, yeah. I actually think we don't have the right words here because arguably if it's fun for you, then it's good for you. So trying to grab some sort of absolute value is, is probably not useful anyway so global appeal is probably what i'm more thinking of is what i should have said instead of not good yeah so that's monster hunter speaking of nuts we have jujitsu which just looks nuts it's nicholas cage fighting some weird alien samurai guy alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no honour in killing crazy and all these great lines. Is this a film where if you like Nicolas Cage films because you love Nicolas Cage films, because Nicolas Cage films are so Nicolas Cage films, then it's for you and everybody else is like, yeah, fine. Walk Could away. well be. But it looks like there's some good combat in there as well. So it looks like it's well-directed action at the very least. So there might be something in there. You get to see Nicolas Cage replaced by a stuntman as he leaps into action, does flips and stuff. <laughs> so, so that's... That's something I'll enjoy. But yes, Nicolas Cage films are almost a genre unto themselves. And he's always worth watching. Even in the films that are terrible, he is always worth watching. He has such an interesting career. I mean, the concept behind this is just odd. Every once in a while, planets come into alignment or something, and then an alien will come to the planet and will fight one person and then leave. <laughs> and if they don't get to fight that one person, they will lose their mind and kill everyone instead, which then suggests that they will, in fact, fight that person eventually because they are killing everyone instead. If you're going to kill everyone, you're going to eventually fight the person that you wanted to kill even if it is the final person that you kill before everyone's gone. Someone's pretty much always said then, 
I wish we'd made Mortal Kombat. We'd have made it much better because we would have put Nicolas Cage in it. And that's literally <laughs> what they've done. And the answer to that is, no, you haven't made it better. You've just made it more Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you need. But maybe that's what you need. Yeah. yeah. I got a weird impression from the, watching the trailer. Though. It looked like a bunch of people fight the alien thing and all lose and then Nicolas Cage steps in at the end and defeats it. And it's just like, why didn't you put Nicolas Cage in first then? Just tag him in straight away, if that's all it's going to be. So, because then the film would have been 10 minutes long. <laughs> well, maybe that's what it needs. You just get pure, unadulterated Nicolas Cage. You got what you came for, go away. That's fine. <laughs> the way they're going is it seems Nicolas Cage is the wise sort of sage character who will then make a noble sacrifice at the end by trying to fight off the baddie and will die slash get badly maimed in the process and inspire the rest to then defeat the alien thing. All right, okay. And then he wasn't dead all along. Yeah, it turns out he wasn't dead. He was merely unconscious. And then they all live happily ever after. The end. (laughs) Yeah, looks bananas, looks fun. It's going to be out on streaming as well as in the cinema. So it'll be one we can watch, unlike Monster Hunter. So that's an advantage. Looks good. I do enjoy a bit of Nicolas Cage. Although slightly unrelated, as I was re-watching the trailer before this podcast to refresh my mind on it, it was interrupted twice for adverts. This is a two-minute trailer. It was interrupted <laughs> twice. Was it an advert for more Nicolas Cage stuff? Because that would be appropriate. No, it was not. I can't remember what the adverts were because I was just looking at the how long until I can skip this. And there was adverts at the start as well. So YouTube, this is not okay. It's intrusive. Was that the official trailer or was that someone reposting the trailer somewhere else and putting a ton of adverts in between to make money off you? No, it was the official one that was on the kind of official YouTube account. Really? Whoever it is. That's, <laughs> that's <just> brilliant. <laughs> I wonder if YouTube are adding these adverts themselves as well, just to try and encourage you to sign up for their premium service, which I will not do. I like the idea of you're watching an advert and it interrupts the advert to play you an advert. So that oh, you can God, continue yeah. to watch an advert. It's just becoming really obnoxious and it's making YouTube just no fun anymore. I'm also a fan now of the ones that pop up with surveys. Skip survey, here's an advert. <laughs> <laughs> so rise against YouTube, I guess. I like to just push <laughs> random buttons on the surveys to destroy my cookie settings. <laughs> that's, that's another option. <laughs> so we didn't do a, a ritual for Monster Hunter. So I'm going to kneel before the trailer for Monster Hunter. Chris? I will kneel before the craziness of Monster Hunter. Aaron? I'll rise against, but knowing that it's based on prejudice rather than any real reason. Cool. I don't think that's one of our criteria, but there it is. (laughs) It just seems unfair, that's all. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, definite kneel before. Chris, I'm guessing you're the same. Yeah, I will kneel so that I can avoid all the samurai swords whizzing overhead. There is a bit where they kneel in the trailer as well. Oh, there you go. Nicholas Cage and the weird alien samurai mech suit guy kneel before they're about to fight. Yeah, could be great. Aaron, what about you? I have to rise against this so I can yell out to the people, just tag in Nicholas Cage already. <laughs> <laughs> Plus it keeps you on brand for hating fun. So that's, that's so unfair, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> Next up, we've got a trailer for a revival of Animaniacs, which is a show that I really loved when I was younger, and I'm going to watch the hell out of this new one. I think it looks hilarious. They seem to be 
doing a bit of 90s nostalgia. There's an extended trailer where they make fun of Jurassic Park. And they're also commenting on modern stuff as well. Things like Instagram and things, selfies and all that stuff. So the original Animaniacs had such a great, risky sense of humour. And it looks like they're maintaining that in this new version. So I'm all for it. Definitely new before. Can't wait. It's going to be hilarious. Right. If you want to talk about things that are actually fun, you've now found one. <laughs> this is where the fun really is. And they've got all the existing cast, or sorry, all the previous cast to come back. And they've kept the same sort of setup. So they'll do irreverent jokes and then break into random songs. They're always good. So yeah, this is very promising. And did you watch it avidly when you were younger? Yes, and all the other supporting shows as well, some of which were better than others, but Pinky and the Brain yep. were the good ones, mm-hmm. and they're, they're back, so, yep, another pot. Yeah, and then the thing is, it was on in the 90s, so it was making fun of the things that you were watching in the 80s as well at that point, so there was a lot of kind of layered referencing probably going on there for yourself, whereas for me it was just kind of funny because I wasn't alive or conscious enough in the period in the 80s where they are watching stuff. Or were they commenting on stuff? Yeah, I don't think I was necessarily still smart or with it enough to get all the references. But in fact, I don't really remember. I need to go back and watch some of them to see, yeah, I would have got that. No, I wouldn't have got that. But they just try to do so many things that, you know, wait for a couple of seconds and you'll be onto another joke that you do get. So yeah, yeah there's just so much packed in there. It's good. It's all the fourth wall breaking, all the pushing the envelope of what they can get away with on a kid's cartoon with jokes, these kind of slightly adult-ish jokes that are just shy of the mark. They just about go there, but don't quite. And somehow it's still hilarious because if you're of a certain age where you understand what they're really talking about, it just takes on this whole other level of comedy. There's also a sort of a meta appreciation, which is always a sort of thing that they were aiming at even the first time. But the whole idea of, I've forgotten which way around they go, all I remember is Dot. I don't remember the two brothers at all. Which one of them had the sandwich? And now they've brought back the sandwich. It was the, young, uh, the smaller, yeah. younger brother. Yeah, I know you're talking about the names escaping me, yeah. It's almost like a meta joke, because first of all, it's like, yeah, there was a sandwich, do you remember the sandwich? But also... All other shows at the moment are harping back to their previous shows. So even by doing a meta joke, they're actually referencing other meta references. <laughs> and yeah. once you start going into that kind of head bend, you get lost in where you're supposed to be for the Animaniacs. So, yeah, perfect. It's almost going to be Deadpool for kids in a way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up for this. I'm like here, and I'm delighted that they've brought the original voice cast back and done all that. So, yeah, looks a lot of fun. Yeah, it's exactly what we need right now. And it's going to be great. So, hard meal before for everyone, I guess. Definitely. Good. Good. So, next up, The Watch, Terry Pratchett adaptation. So, I know this has been getting a lot of flack online because... It's maybe not as faithful or doesn't look as faithful as it could. I think it looks fine, but I'm not a huge Terry Pratchett guy. I've, I think I've read one or two of the books, but I'm not into that world of storytelling as such. So I don't know. I don't know. Is it terrible? I mean, it looks fine. It doesn't really look like something I want to watch as such. So I don't know if it's grabbing me in that way. 
so maybe not watch it. But I thought I'd bring it up because it's an interesting topical one. So are either of you big Terry Pratchett people? I was as a teenager. I read all the books and just reread them over and over. I weirdly not returned to it. Now I'm a bit older. I've returned to so many things and not that. Uh, I think it was the latest one that was the Neil Gaiman cross at Good Omens. I somehow struggled with that so much as well that I'm not sure if I can go back. I do remember looking at the trailer here and thinking, these aren't the images that were in my head. Okay. And that's tricky to get past when it's all you've got to go on. Once you've got more information and you can actually make an informed decision, I think you can get past these things. But yeah, there's just an odd disconnect. I quite like to see different styles of things. Like Sherlock Holmes has been done in so many different styles. You are never going to enjoy all of them because it probably isn't possible. But the idea that you can move your story into different styles means you can say something different you can go to a different audience and you can do some really interesting things so i'm going to want to watch this but i'm not wanting to watch it because of the trailer i want to watch it because i used to read terry pratchett so it's kind of a weird rise against for me on the trailer even though i feel i'm definitely still going to want to watch the series itself I'm a rise against based on the trailer because it didn't grab me. So I just found it curious because of the reaction that had come out on the back of it. So, Chris, what's your relationship to Terry Pratchett and this thing, the watch thing? I deny any allegations of my relationship with Terry Pratchett at this time. Please speak to my lawyer. (laughs) I didn't really read that many of the books or things, so I've not got that sort of preconceived thing with this. But um, it, it looks interesting enough. I might end up watching it out of a sort of curiosity thing. I didn't catch up yet with his Dark Materials, which is something that I did read. So, yeah, I need to kind of sort out some of the things. It's it's on my sort of to-watch sort of pile, that. And then the watch is obviously something a bit different. So, yeah, see. Yeah. It's interesting that a lot of these sort of book series are starting to turn into TV. It's like someone sort of looking in a back catalogue and going, oh, we can get the rights to this. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, we've got one of these stories. Oh, we can pick up some of that now. At least it's TV and not film, though, because in TV you've got more time to do a mm. book. In films, yeah. I never, ever want to see a book turned into a film because there's too much and you, the producers won't do what you need to do, which is capture the essence of the book, the meaning of the book, the themes of the book, and don't try and follow the same plot, which of course upsets the super fans because then you've changed the plot. But I think it's the only way to actually do it. Whereas in TV, you can say, right, we are going to be able to do both because we've got time. So that's pleasing. And the criticisms of this trailer reminded me of the, the early criticisms to Artemis Fowl in the sense of this looks nothing like the thing I read. What is this? So it's interesting that you mentioned that it doesn't seem to look like what you would imagine that world would look like. But what I'm going to ask you now is, have you seen the other Terry Pratchett adaptations, the Hogfather and the other one? Was it The Colour of Magic? The ones that were on Sky or whatever, whoever made it. Have you seen those? And are those a bit more visually representative of what you would expect? So I'd started watching one of them a long time ago. I can't even remember it now. And I had the same reaction. It's like, oh, yeah. 
the story that's in my head is not the story that's on here. And I kind of like the one that's in my head. So I can't tell you that those old adaptions were bad either. They just weren't what I thought they were going to be. So I didn't watch them all. I stopped watching them because I didn't want to lose what was in my head. So I'll say the same thing. It's not that I ever thought any of them were bad, but couldn't connect with them. Strangely, I did a comparison this way on Good Omens. I watched some of the show and then I went and read some of the book and was utterly disturbed to find that some of the passages were exactly the same. (laughs) And I thought, but I responded to this differently than I did to what was in the book. But how is that possible? Because they're exactly the same. I mean, some of the descriptions, the opening scenes, it's word for word when the narrator comes on. And I thought, how can I possibly be reacting differently here? But it it's that whole idea of this was 20 years ago when I started reading this. And I don't know that anybody is going to be able to say, this is what I was expecting because it was 20 years ago. How can you possibly have an accurate computer memory of what you read and how you felt? So I think these things are really difficult. The fans almost can't like them because they're so invested in their version of it that's in their head how can anything live up to that so stay with what i said i want to watch this because i'm interested and it would be interesting to see something completely different and that might be better than trying to recreate exactly what was which is doomed to failure so it'll probably be one of your kneel befores or rises against in the not too distant future well yeah yeah come back to me and we'll see yeah yeah it's interesting what you say about the whole your expectation of the thing or your expectation of your memory of the thing and then this thing that they make. It's impossible to recapture that feeling that you might have had as a child or even just when you read it. Mm. It might not be that long ago. And there's also the translation between mediums as well. A book or a comic book will make you feel differently to a TV show or a film. It just will because the emotional triggers are different. They have to frame it in a different way and Mm. go at you in a different way. So there was sort of a study done a while ago, and it was this thing about, generally speaking, young children want the thing to be exactly like the book or comic or whatever it is they've read, whereas teenagers and adults are actually looking for something a bit different because they've already read that thing or something like that. So I think as long as the changes are informed and you can see why the changes were made, I think it becomes a valid thing in of itself. There's sometimes you look at something and you think, why did they change that? That hasn't made it better at all. I mean, yeah, even that in itself is personal because these things are often put together by somebody who the the producer often loved it. The people paying the money that want it to exist loved this thing so much. And then they put their personal spin on it. And as soon as somebody else adds that subjective excellence in everybody else goes well it's not excellent it's not the way i would have done it and you again you come back to the same thing you screw you can't possibly answer the desires and hopes of two million different people all Mm. viewing the same thing yeah i mean that's it you give a hundred people the same piece of script and they all picture it slightly differently yeah everything from your art design your set design the lighting the sound what would be going on around them everyone's got a slight who plays the characters yeah (laughs) who plays the characters what kind of accent have they got i mean as much as some books will spell out as much as possible for a reader even in those descriptive terms you can take little bits slightly differently or there's sometimes an active 
or there's often an active campaign to change those things as well because this book was written in the 1950s and all of the characters are white. Mm. The adaptation Mm. we're doing now is in 2020 and we're going to hire some non-white actors, guys, because we're just going to do that because they're the better people for the job as far as we're concerned. And then you start getting people kicking off about that to some extent. And I don't know about the casting in this, what people have really been saying about it, but I don't know. Will I give it a watch? Probably not, to be honest. I will, I guess, hear from Aaron as to what he thinks of it when it happens. But yeah, so rise against for me just because the trailer didn't grab me on its own and I have no connection to the source material. Well, I'll tell you what I want to do as well. I want to specifically not read the book again first. I don't want to go and read any of those characters again at all before I go in and see it. I want to go in and see it with it being acknowledged new, not original, but it, it was, well, it, it, yeah, it's original materials and original variation. So yeah, I don't want that colored view coming into it. Fair. Yeah. So you're a Neil before then of the whole thing. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Chris, what are you leaning on? I'm kind of on the old fence about this one. I'm going to go for a Neil before because it seems cruel to just dismiss it out of hand. <laughs> like I did. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So you mentioned his dark materials. We've got a trailer for season two. I haven't seen season one, but I've read the books, so I know what the story is. So I watched the trailer for season two. It looks amazing. The first season looked amazing. I don't know why I've not watched it yet, and I really need to fix that because the first season looked great as well. So I love that story. The film I really didn't like, even though it does have Ian McKellen voicing a fighting polar bear, which does have an appeal. But by all accounts, this first season was great, and the second season is something that's anticipated. So Neil before looks amazing. Yeah, I need to catch up on the on the last season before I watch this. I'm a bit like you. I, I actually set it on ye good old fashioned videotape machine, my catch up box, and I recorded put all the video to plus watch. code. Yeah, exactly. Put in the video plus code. It's sitting there on my TV box, and I've not watched it yet. So yeah, I need to just sit and run my way through it. I think. Cool. Uh, so you kneeling before as well? Yes. Aaron. So I have no perspective from the books because I've not read them, and then. Get that out of the way first. So I know nothing about the show. I've not seen the other series either. So all I'm going to be able to give you is my perspective on this trailer, which is that this trailer was really boring and did not inspire me at all. Because I've got no connection to this at all, I've, I, I don't have any reason to watch it other than this trailer. What this trailer was saying to me was, the world is going to end and, and two children have to save it and there are bad guys that will stop them and there are good guys that will try and help them and there's some armies and then there's some people trying to do these things and some objects will need to be found. And I thought, well, well, yeah, because you've got to put something in a story and you've got to put something in a plot. But what, what's so great about his dark materials? What's so great about this particular version of Kids Saving the Day? I've seen Kids Save the Day a lot. I'm quite up for Kids Save the Day. It's wish fulfillment. It's a good plotline. But what's the uniqueness here? What is it that's special about this particular mass army battle that makes me want to watch over the other mass army battle? What's so good about this particular evil villain that's different to every single other evil villain I've ever watched? If we're coming down to an argument of... The two children are both not white. That's not a good reason to watch. That means somebody's paid attention to modern sensibilities. But if that's really all the people have got to say here, and I couldn't see anything else in the trailer, 
I couldn't see anything that said to me, this is a unique thing that you have to see because it's a wish fulfillment you've never considered this angle from before, or it's a story you've never considered this particular detail from before. So the show might be amazing, but the trailer was just, you know you love this, come and watch it now. And I had to say, well, I'm sorry, I don't. You're not talking to someone who's read the book before, so sorry, can't connect with you. Or seen the first season. Or seen the first season. So yeah, I, I can't comment on what I think is actually going to be given. All I can say is most definitely rise against this trailer. If it is really good, I don't think this trailer did what's coming justice at all. Okay, yeah. And some of the stuff you've described there is things you might be invested in if you enjoyed the first season. So a, a trailer for a second season is going after the people that enjoyed the first season and telling them that the second season is coming and you should watch it because we're doing all this stuff. Fair enough, yeah. That will be continuing on from the first season. So I've not seen the first season, but I know and love the story from when I read it. And again, I'm not going to reread it. Well, as you said, in regards to the Terry Pratchett stuff, I'm not going to reread it in case it colours my perception of the show. But I have a good memory of the books from when I read them. I've read them twice, I think, way back when I was at high school. And I'll... Give season one a watch, I'm going to prioritise that. When I'm done with For All Mankind, I'll watch season one and get that done. And should be in time for it to appear when it's in the middle of November or whenever it is. So, yeah. Next trailer up, The 355. Jessica Chastain leads a all-woman gang of mercenaries that are off the books and doing stuff. I think it looks pretty good for what it is, an action film. I got a bit of a the old guard vibe about it even though there doesn't seem to be any kind of superpower, long life side of it. But in terms of style and so on, it seemed a bit similar. I think it looks pretty fun. Jessica Chastain's really good at whatever she does, including X-Men, where that film that she's kind of in. She's not bad for what she has to do. But yeah, I'm going to kneel before it because I'll watch it and I'll probably enjoy it. It looks fun, it looks really well shot. It's got all those traditional sort of establishing shots. It's got the, you know, this is a mission that we can't just give anyone. We've got to send you off this. Out of the way and off the books with no one watching. And if anyone finds you, we'll deny all knowledge. Sort of uh, setting you out there on your own. No safety. It's making no effort to reinvent the wheel in any way. No, no, no. It's very much following a template, but it looks like it's doing fun things with it. So, yeah, it looks watchable. It might not be the finest of that particular genre, but it looks all right. And so that'll be a nail before then. Yes. Aaron? I'll go Rise Against again, I'm afraid. You talk about the template, it was too obvious for me. I I just thought it was so easily described by... A bunch of people come together to save the world, but then we have to remember that a strong woman is only strong because she is both a warrior and a mother. Oh, the bad guys have put your children in danger. What are we going to do? Don't worry, we will save your children. And it's like, oh, well, did, did you have to just bring in all of the key notes of the template? Do you have to hit all the notes to say that this is what a strong woman is. It felt like somebody was trying to prove a point, again, without saying anything original. And it's sort of okay for an action film, because what are you expecting? But then any film where you can see the template being played out so obviously, it feels like you're not going to be able to get involved in it. I didn't feel like I was going to be able to get involved in it. 
because it was just offering me what I've seen before everywhere. And I can imagine that it could be the same thing. If it's a really amazing film, then the trailer will not have done it justice. So I'm currently got to rise against because the trailer did nothing to, to invite me in, I don't think. There it is. So let's move on to our final trailer, Free Guy. Ryan Reynolds is a video game NPC who <laughs> achieves sentience and decides he's going to do good deeds around the game world. I think this looks amazing. I can't wait to see it. I think it looks very wholesome, very fun. It understands what it is. It's Ryan Reynolds who always understands what kind of film that he's in. He always does everything that you would expect him to and more. So I really can't wait to see it. It's kind of like a live action Wreck-It Ralph, but its own spin on Wreck-It Ralph kind of thing. It just looks sharp and funny and all that good stuff. Uh, Neil before completely. Yeah, I'm going to kneel before this as well. Ryan Reynolds seems to have a spin of doing these kind of narrated, silly, off-the-wall, wall-breaking-y films. Sort of what if Deadpool up. was a video game character? Yeah, Just- essentially. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of that going on. So you can sit there and argue and going, oh, has Ryan Reynolds only now got this one little cheeky wink to camera sort of thing what going on What if Deadpool was there? Pikachu? Yeah, <laughs> it is that kind of element, but it does looks silly it just looks really good fun i like the concept of an npc realizing that the world is sort of messed up it's kind of like a more stupid version of the matrix you find out that your world isn't real it's a video game it's that sort of concept i like some good existential stuff going on there as well i mean i imagine that won't be the focus of the film but there's a bit in the trailer where it's all about but we're not real and guy as ryan reynolds character is called hits back with but it's real to me. Yeah. And that's all he needs. That's the only motivation he needs. He sees this world as real and he's going to do what he can to make it a better place. How can you not get behind a message like that, really? Aaron, what did you think? Yeah, yeah, I found that really funny. I think the combination of the brutal innocence of that character played against the then equally brutal reality of what could and couldn't be done to them is both charming and, and well thought out. And I did actually laugh at the jokes in the trailer. So, um, yeah, totally on board. There it goes. Warms the cockles of Aaron's cold dead heart. See, there are there is some good stuff. There is some <laughs> fun to be had. Maybe I'm just very selective. So all we need to do now is get Ryan Reynolds in with Animaniacs and we've just made Aaron's year. Absolutely, yeah. It's essentially what's happening, so we're fine. So it's out in December. I don't know whether it's just in cinemas, which means we won't get to see it, or whether... They'll make some kind of streaming release as well, in which case we will get to see it. And I'll make a point of watching it as soon as I can, if it does appear in a place that I can actually watch it, because it just looks really wholesome and exciting and fun. So that's a unanimous Neil before, I guess, for our final trailer. It's a good note to end on for the trailers. Time for some news. There's some been bits and pieces of news flying around the internet that have happened and that we're going to discuss So first of all, let's get the Snyder Cut out of the way because we just have to mention the Snyder Cut, don't we? So it is now no longer just a cut that was lying around of a film that already fully existed. It is now its own brand new thing. We mentioned it in a previous Rise Against where they're doing reshoots. Those reshoots include adding Jared Leto's Joker, the Joker that 
pretty much nobody likes for reasons that are just beyond me at this point. What is this going to do to the story? And why are they doing it? We're also probably getting Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke coming back as well. Again, why? What is this film about? What was it about? Why is it changing so much? It's ballooned into this thing that's no longer the thing that it's supposed to be and was never going to be. Rise against. Yeah, I'm kind of rising against this as well. I mean, we've had a conversation about the Snyder Cut before. And, okay, as I've said before, I am interested in what his take on Justice League was going to be. But I do not believe that this thing, whatever the hell we're wanting to call it now, since it's a four-part, two-video-on-demand epic that they're creating, that this isn't what that cut was going to be. I'd love to see what the original written-out script is of, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I was going to film. Yeah, 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 this is the shooting script that I had prepared. Because I do not imagine this had anything to do with it i don't know if they're just going through reddit threads and going oh i like the sound of that bit yeah let's put that in and what else will get us a bit of attention of this thing yeah we're going to put jared leto in it now don't get me wrong it'll likely be a a 10 minute cutscene or something of a, a flashback of a thing that's going to get put in there but it just seems unnecessary i don't quite understand where they're going with it apart from we're going to throw all of the things at it, please. Well, a lot of people thought that that version of the Joker is actually a former Robin. So my guess is, and I'm going to put that out here now so that I said it on 28th of October 2020, <laughs> that there will confirm that he is a Robin or was a Robin. That's what they're going to do. Okay. It's my hypothesis. Aaron, what do you think? I'll split it into two parts. I'm almost forced to rise against this whole project of the the cut because of all the reasons you've said the whole idea that somehow getting everybody's opinion together into one place in multiple directions decision by committee everybody gets their bit in make it as big as possible with as much stuff as possible it just can't work it it's almost like a microcosm of the entire dc film universe playing out in one film and it's just going to be such a shame to have someone get time and infinite money to come along and quote fix this and then not be given the opportunity to actually fix this because a bunch of producers are all going to say what it needs it's like no if you're giving this guy some money to show you what he was originally going to do as an artist then give him the money and clear off and let the artist complete his work and if you're not going to do that, if, if you're not going to be honest about that, then you cannot succeed. All you can do is is just make it worse. So I, I don't see how this can possibly come good. But then the second part that I do want to mention, which potentially always marks me out as a contrarian on this podcast, and maybe that's one of the reasons I'm brought back, because you, you want a contrarian, but I did like Jared Leto's Joker But the reason for that is I wanted the film that was promised to me rather than the films that I got. I wanted a dark universe. I wanted to see 
how superheroes were forced to deal with the real world. I said it before on one of the podcasts, I loved it when Superman went home to get advice from his mother because the world was just a bit too nasty and you needed some experience from an older person to make sense of it. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, I would definitely expect that. You get this wonderful, naive alien come down and say, I'm going to make it all better. And the world goes, no, you're not. So yeah, mom, mom, I need some help here, please. Mm-hmm. Everybody's being nasty. And I wanted to see that film. And the Joker to me was the Joker from that film. Jack Nicholson was the Joker from a crazy over the top cartoon comic book universe. Definitely was. And all the other Jokers that we've seen, we can all pick out the amazing Jokers that we've seen. I don't even necessarily need mentioning because they're all good. Jared Leto's was another one that was an interpretation. All the Jokers we've seen have been different. This is different. And it fitted the film that I was promised. Now, I don't say I got that film. And therefore, Jared Leto's Joker might not have actually fitted in the film that we actually saw. But he was the only thing, well, sorry, not the only thing. He was one of few things that were true to that original promise to me. In that really dark universe, the Joker is awful, the worst kind of human, and doesn't actually tell jokes. And the joke is that that's how nasty it really is. I'm actually showing you how you really are in a world where everybody says they're doing good but actually they're all completely awful. The joke is, I'm holding a mirror up to that, and this is your truth. Look at me, I'm you. And again, I'm putting all this in. I know it wasn't there, but as I say, he gave me the film that should have been, and that's why I I like him. And I wouldn't mind seeing him again, but it would have to be in the proper dark universe that, by the way, I fully acknowledge not many other people want to see because everybody wants to see, oh, yeah, can we have Wonder Woman and Aquaman, please, doing a nice little dance around some swords and that would be brilliant. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll watch Marvel for that. I mean, I'm not saying those films are bad, but it's like I will watch Marvel to see that. They have done that so well. What are you going to do by copying them? You could have given me something different and you didn't. But, yeah, I will go back to my box where I sit alone in a COVID world entirely to myself. And <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily that people don't want the dark world or a dark DC universe. I think the issue is that they've never properly committed either way. It's very difficult for them to decide, oh, we're going to go fully dark, fully, fully, fully dark, and then they'll throw in some... (laughs) They'll throw in Aquaman, (laughs) and they'll throw in a bit of silliness and a bit of dude bro Aquaman, and you go, okay, I suppose, and then they'll throw in Ezra Miller as a kind of jokey, silly Flash, and you go... I guess so, and then they'll start doing jokes with Batman about being a bit old and past it, and you go, okay, so you're doing a bit of jokey kind of bantery stuff now, okay, that's fine, and then they go, no, 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 we're doing dark, actually, we're doing dark, yeah, we're doing proper dark, and you're like, okay, well, commit, pick either way, because you're giving me a taste of both, but you're not actually serving the full meal of either of these options. It's okay to have those types of characters in a dark setup, though, as well, because... They stand out. They can stand out and they can be a bit of a palate cleanser, but sometimes you've got to make a choice. I have no problem with multiverse what-if stories. I have no problem with other bits. I don't think that Jared 
Leto was particularly terrible in what he was. He just wasn't necessarily for that film that he was put in. And he did his take with what he was given. My thing is more when it comes into this cut, this isn't what was originally promised. I can imagine at the end of this, if it's still awful, if there are still very few redeeming qualities from it, apart from the fact that we've got these extra scenes and these extra bits that have been cut in, folk will go, oh, no, I want the original, original, original cut, please. (laughs) That's all that's going to come out at the end of this now. isn't that people go, oh, well, that's fine then. At least I finally received what I wanted. The outcome of this is going to be, I still haven't received what I wanted. I want the original, original cut that would have went to theatres, not a four-part extended additional added cut. There's also the problem of, Aaron, you mentioned about producer intervention. I don't think that's what this is. It seems like Zack Snyder has been given carte blanche to do whatever he wants, which seems to be, I'm going to overload this with stuff, but you've got the Joker in this, you've got Deathstroke in this, Steppenwolf is in there, Darkseid is in there. Who are they fighting? (laughs) How many comic book movies have fallen over because you've got so many villains in there, no one knows or cares who you're supposed to be fighting anymore. And that's a problem. And it just seems to get overloaded. Fair enough, they have to get it to hit the four hours when it wasn't originally that, although apparently it was originally that. Who knows? But why add all this stuff in? And I feel like it's just going to bloat it. And then when this comes out, it'll be like, could have done without the Joker, though. (laughs) (laughs) It was great, but I could have done without the Joker. And you're going to get things like that. And... I don't know who they're pandering to here. I mean, we know that the whole thing, if not set up to pander in that way, it has kind of given the, shall we say, the less ethical side of the whole project, these sycophantic fans that have made this happen and been terrible to other people online around it. It's given them validation that they don't need, that they shouldn't have, and that's a problem. And... The fact is now some people are going to be of the mindset of if I hate something and complain about it for long enough, they'll fix it. And that's a dangerous mindset for people to have. I still sort of return to what I said originally, which is that I think a lot of this news of, oh, he's going in and he's filming a thing. I just have the feeling it's going to be so short and so fleeting that it's barely going to be a blip on the film. Like you say, there's so many villains and and motivations and people in there already. Throwing more people at this is not going to make it work any better as a piece. It already sort of sagged under the weight of characters and trying to give everyone something to do. And even the actors have gone on record and said, I didn't get my full share of what I wanted out of this. And I still don't think at the end of four hours they're going to come out and go, yes, I now had (laughs) all the scenes that I wanted. I have now had my moment that I didn't get before. I'm struggling to see who all this is going to please at the end, apart from people like us managing to fill hours worth of content talking about it every time. There's entertainment websites that are delighted by the Snyder Cut for it is providing the news. Because <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while he drops another zinger in there. Let's launch the Snyder Cut podcast and we'll just talk about the Snyder Cut every week mm-hmm. until after it comes out. And then after that happens, I'm sure there'll be follow-up 
to it. Let's get his vision fully realised. Let's have him make all the DC films until he dies. I would love <laughs> to say, let's go for it. But I imagine if we Google now, in the traditional sense of this podcast, when we declare this would be a great <laughs> idea, really and we are the only people that have thought of this, I imagine there are 10 Snyder <laughs> Cut discussion podcasts <laughs> that are rolling already. Yeah, but we'll be the first one to be critical of it. <laughs> <laughs> the other ones will be extolling its virtues, I guess. So, is there anything else on the Snyder Cut? I think it's had enough attention. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. I'm a bit burnt out on the whole thing for now. Until the next thing where we find out that, I don't know, they're going to CGI Christopher Reeve into a scene for some reason. It's actually going to be a six-hour miniseries now because we've filmed so much extra content. It's like, what's this about now? George Clooney <laughs> confirmed to be filming for Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's this about now? No one cares. It's just... <laughs> Every hour is a setup for another universe of films that we can make. <laughs> so let's stay on DC. Something a bit more positive, at least for me. Green Lantern TV series is happening. HBO Max. It's going to be a series on there, so they'll have a budget, which is nice, which not a lot of the Arrowverse shows can claim to enjoy. They're a bit more creative with their lower budget, but it's going to be focused on a team of Green Lanterns rather than a singular one. So it includes Guy Garner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, Kilowog, and the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott. If those names don't mean anything to you, don't worry. I'm sure they will when the show comes on, and I'm sure they'll change them anyway. But the Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz, they are more modern Green Lanterns. So it looks like they're... Well, it doesn't look like they are pulling from different eras and they're not going for the ones that people might have heard of quite as much. So that's good. So I'm going to kneel before this because I'm really looking forward to seeing what a Green Lantern series could appear like, especially when it's a bit of an ensemble piece with a lot of Green Lanterns. Because that's ultimately what it is. They're an organisation. So focusing on just one limits it in some senses. So the fact is you'll be able to get a lot of different perspectives and stuff like that. So... I'm keen. I'm very keen. Yeah, I'm into my superhero nonsense. My knowledge of Green Lantern is ridiculously limited, probably pretty much to the Ryan Reynolds film, and that's about it. So, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I don't have a lot of knowledge of the character, so little times where a Green Lantern has popped up and some other DC stuff, I've picked up bits from there, but not really that knowledgeable about it. So I look at this with interest... So I will kneel before for now. Cool. Aaron, any thoughts? I think the only way I can go on this is by asking, is Arrowverse, is it going to be the same sort of thing? Same producers, but I don't think it's directly tied to the Arrowverse. So I think it will be on another Earth or in another universe that won't directly connect, but they might connect it at some point. Same producers, so does that mean I can expect the sense of humour and the, the sort of script writing to be the same style, do you think? I would suggest that it's probably not going to be dissimilar. In that case, as people who might have listened to me talk about the DC TV stuff before, I'll rise against them. Again, I can't say I'm rising against because it's bad, but I'm rising against because I don't enjoy those shows, so I'm unlikely to enjoy this one as well. I think it'll find its own spin, like every show has its own kind of identity of tone and so on. So Yeah, sure. But the sense of humour and the underwriting writing style was very similar across those shows. They all had a variation, and that's what made them stand out. I've watched 
four of them, I think. One of them I watched quite a lot of, but then eventually had to give up with it, which was The Flash. But they all had a very definite style of humour. They're, they're all very much Buffyverse. Let's say in how they're influenced, if nothing else. And I didn't really enjoy that style first time around, let alone 20 years later. So again, I won't ever try and comment on the quality, but I'll say I'm unlikely to enjoy it, so I'll, I'll rise against it. Fair enough. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe you'll be cajoled into watching an episode or two just so you can say that you hate it. That's we'll brilliant. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so far. <laughs> we'll stay on DC, the last DC thing. Is it the last DC thing? Yes, it is. Supergirl is coming to an end. They have decided to call it quits after the next season. To be clear, it hasn't been cancelled, or at least they're not saying that it's been cancelled. It's a combination of Melissa Benoist has a newborn. She doesn't really want to be dealing with the commitment of a full series when she has a newborn, especially in this pre-mid-post-COVID world of uncertainty. And no one can really blame her for that. It's six years of her life she's given to this show and time for it to call it quits. The contract on the show ended as well, or will end at the end of the next season. So it seems like a good time for everybody to just, okay, we'll put it to an end. And I'm going to read her statement that she said after the cancellation announcement happened. She said, to say it's been an honour portraying this iconic character would be a massive understatement. Seeing the incredible impact the show has had on young girls around the world has left me humbled and speechless. She's had that impact on me too. She's taught me strength I didn't know I had to find hope in the darkest of places and that we are stronger when we are united. What she stands for pushes all of us to be better. She has changed my life for the better and I'm forever grateful. I'm so excited to wait to plan our conclusion to this amazing journey and I cannot wait for you to see what we have in store. I promise we're going to make it one hell of a final season, El Mayara, which is Kryptonian for Stronger Together. So, yeah, I'll miss the show because I do really enjoy it. It's my favourite out of air show after Arrow. So it's not a decision I like, but I can see why they're doing it. So I'll rise against the fact that they are ending it. I'm going to kind of kneel before the fact that they're ending it. As much as I enjoy it, I think that the haven't had the greatest of storylines and plot points of late so i think naturally sort of winding it down is probably better than having another two seasons or so where they start scrabbling about also i don't think it's likely that this is the last time that we'll see those characters because you're getting this sort of super family show that's kind of spinning off of this and a slight axis, it means that it's not going to be a full striking of the deck of all the characters and everything like that, unless they choose to. That's the thing. So I think potentially some of this will carry on in a little way, so it might just be a nice passing over. I'm still hoping that Diggle will turn up in this Green Lantern series. It doesn't look like it's been announced yet. So they have said, or someone has suggested that some of the characters may appear in other shows afterwards, but it's all to play for at this point. It's early days on that. So, Aaron, I'm guessing you have, like, no opinion, basically. Yeah, I'd best to abstain on this without having seen any of it. <laughs> Other than her appearance in crossovers, I guess. Well, yeah, I think I watched the first two episodes. I watched a couple of crossovers on, well, mostly on request from yourself, really. But, yeah, that doesn't give me a good enough connection to do decent justice to a comment. Even when the show was at its weakest, 
think Melissa Benoist carries it wonderfully, and I really look forward to seeing what she does next after this because she is very, very talented, and she's shown that she can lead a show brilliantly and inhabit a character in such a way. So I think that it'll be one to watch her career afterwards. I presume she'll probably take a bit of time off until her kid's a bit older and then see her again. and Or maybe she will still appear in crossovers now and again. I guess it depends where they leave her character when it ends. But that's that. Well, there was one more DC thing. There's a picture of the new Batwoman, Javicia Leslie, in her, in her costume. Looks good. That's all I have to say on it. Looks good. Costume looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, do you concur or disagree? Do you know, I've never been able to get into costumes. <laughs> I can't sustain a conversation about a costume. I don't know if that means I need to be objected from our particular subculture or not. <laughs> it's a costume. I'm looking at it now and it's definitely a costume. I'm prepared to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough for me. So there's some Marvel stuff on the list, but I think we'll do that last. We'll get the kind of miscellaneous stuff out of the way. So Mad Max prequel Furiosa has been cast, and I don't think anybody expected who the cast was going to be. We're getting Anya Taylor-Joy playing Furiosa. Chris Hemsworth's going to be in it. I loved Fury Road. I thought it was such a great action ride. I just loved every second of it. So I have no reason to think that this will be any different. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. So I'm definitely going to kneel before it. And George Miller is writing, directing and producing. So we can expect the same level of quality, I think. I think we're safe to say that if you enjoyed Fury Road, you're going to enjoy this. And they've got a good cast. Oh, yeah. it was Fury Road was sort of OTT and brilliant. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. Aaron, have you seen Fury Road? I have, yeah, definitely enjoyed that. And I think the actor they've picked here is very capable, so I I see no reason why that shouldn't be anything other than a positive. Yeah, that's that. We're getting a prequel. We all like the idea of this prequel. End of discussion, I guess. So it's not Furiosa, but it is Furious. Fast and Furious, you might say. It's ending with film 10 and 11. (laughs) <laughs> See what I did there? I thought that's that was quite what you did there. Very nice. Yeah. Nicely done. Why? Made worse by the fact that we've commented on it rather than letting it marinate and for people to go, oh, good. Oh, no, I'm not letting <laughs> it marinate. No, no, no. I'm calling that out right now. Nicely done. I'm going to kneel before the fact that the Fast and Furious franchise is ending, but out of how many films is it now? Seven? Is there seven that's, or is it eight that's released? It's eight, isn't it? If you don't include Hobbs and Shaw. Mm, yes. I've enjoyed one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact is yeah let's get rid of it <laughs> the next one has edinburgh i mean so it is obviously going to be the bestest out of all of them so and then eventually space is happening it's got to be space <laughs> everyone thought that nasa's moon announcement was either going to be tom cruise is filming on the moon or fast and furious <laughs> is filming on the moon one of the two or both it wasn't Tom Cruise in Fast and Furious on the moon. Yes. <laughs> Let's get that filming now. Fast 10 is on the moon. They're filming together. They're sharing the budget. It's the <laughs> only way they can make it happen. <laughs> Elon Musk would sort it out and he makes cars. He's the perfect person to sort this out. <laughs> I'm a bit sceptical on the, we're going to give this massive cash cow two more films and then we're done. Well, it's not the end of it. There's still a million spin-offs. Well, exactly. But it's the main series ending. Yeah, we're no longer going to tag it as Fast and Furious, except it's going to be blatantly 
branded like a Fast and Furious film, everything that comes afterwards. So it seems a slight non-announcement. We're not going to call it Fast and Furious anymore, but there's going to be films where pretty much the majority of the Fast and Furious cast will pop up in some capacity. It's the end of Dominic Toretto's story until he gets a spin-off that's just titled Toretto. Yeah. And it's him and his child driving somewhere. We cannot fit every actor's ego in these films anymore. They are all getting their <laughs> spin-off ego films so that we do not need to have the competing egos on one screen. Fast and Furious 10 will just have a punch counter appear on the screen just to make sure. <laughs> Aaron, what do you think of the fact that it's ending? I don't understand this whole... Well, it's not a genre. What is it, franchise? I just don't get it. It's yeah, it's fast, it's furious, stuff explodes. Yeah, whatever. Fine. Good. Sounds like you've nailed it there. (laughs) You understand it perfectly. In the trailer for the upcoming one, they've got a magnet plane. They've got a plane with a giant magnet that picks up a car. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And they've got a car that swings on a rope from a bridge. Oh, yeah. They also defy physics and manage to have a car that (laughs) does, I don't know, a handbrake turn in the air on a slingshot or something i don't understand but it <laughs> happens in the trailer so yeah so there we go i guess it's a kneel before across the board that we're finally getting rid of this <laughs> yes unfortunately i don't have a great segue for this next bit but it's kind of related in a sense that it's another film bond might go to streaming but bids have been rejected so it looks like it's not going to streaming so we said this offline, someone is going to have to make the jump. Someone is going to have to say, we're going to put this big film on streaming and release it in cinemas where there are cinemas still open. Because otherwise, nothing's going to shift. Everything's just going to go out of business. Nothing's going to get made. Nothing's going to come out. And cinemas will just go bust. So Bond being the scapegoat for this, maybe it makes sense. Maybe Disney should do it with Black Widow because they make enough money out of their MCU films. Who knows? But if Bond goes on streaming, I'll watch it, sure. We were very, very close to seeing it in the cinema. (laughs) We were about a month away, weren't we, when we had it booked? We had tickets booked. All three of us had tickets booked to see it in the same day, sitting right next to each other, which seems like a novelty now. That's another world where you were able to do that. But it was happening, you know, and it's been pushed back a full year. It might go on streaming, so... Yeah, just someone do it. You don't want to see a film peter out and have problems at the box office, but some sort of simultaneous release. Give the cinemas something that is going to draw people in. I get that Tenant didn't quite do what everyone wanted it to do and didn't sort of open the floodgates of everyone going back. It sort of piqued the interest of the people that wanted to see it, but then folk didn't go back for second, third, fourth viewings and the casual audience didn't go in at all. So I think something bigger like a Bond film might actually draw people in. And it does take a big crowd-pleasing movie to get people to go to the cinema. And if there's none of those films coming out, then the cinemas aren't going to open or they're going to keep to their reduced hours because they've got nothing to draw people in. And it's just this cycle where if everyone keeps moving the release back, it's just never going to work. I think Bond was pretty right on with their November release date. They were one of the first films to announce that they were pushing back and that they were pushing back that far. 
because I remember at the time when this was announced, it was one of the first signs of the oncoming apocalypse, and we all chuckled at the fact that Bond was moving to November of all places. <laughs> it didn't seem right. It was like, oh, that, that nonsense. You can't believe just because one market is currently shut down for cinemas that they're moving a film all the way back to November and how wrong we were. Well, it wasn't even that. They just preempted that. They just thought, because nowhere was shut at that point. We were still at the, if you get it, it will be a bad cold side of the propaganda machine that we live in. I think it was because of markets in China being closed that there was the initial, oh, yeah. we want a big release, including China, to make the profit. So they pushed it back, and they've actually pushed it back to a point where markets are even smaller than they were before. Yeah, so don't get me wrong, I love the cinema experience. And I will always love the cinema experience. And seeing something like Bond or Black Widow or any other huge film that you can name on an IMAX screen is one of my favourite things to do because it's just the best way to experience it as far as I'm concerned. And the prospect of seeing these things just on my TV while I'm sitting there with anything that could distract me doesn't sit right with me as such. But at the same time, it's better than not seeing it at all. Yeah, it's better than not seeing it at all, but it also leads to studios struggling if they're not getting the investment or the money in to then push for their next slot of films that they're putting together. And the pricing structures and things still haven't quite been worked out with how streaming is going to work. People renting a film for a one-time view or, or whatnot, and how you charge for that. How much do you charge for that home experience to make enough people view it so that you make money but also that people are not put off by the fact that you're putting a ridiculous price tag on it. I still think there should be some form of staggered release that they can do with it. I think they're maybe pushing it back a bit too far, and I think that every studio running away from the market at the moment is not helping situations. Cinemas are one of the few performance spaces that are still allowed to open under the lockdown conditions that we're in at the moment, cinema is one of the few that's able to actually stay. Disclaimer, all things said are true at time of Yeah, time. yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the moment, we do. The, the cinemas are allowed to be open. The reason that the cinemas are shutting isn't necessarily that they're being forced to close by the government conditions that we've got in the UK or uh, Scotland at this time. It's because there's not a draw to pull people in. Yes, they've got reduced capacity because they've got to ensure distancing between individual households within the cinema. But the main thing that's putting people off at the moment is there's nothing there for them to actually see because the restriction at the moment is that you can't go and see live music. You can't go and see a theatre performance, but you can go and see the cinema. And maybe this is where some of the cinema stuff could pick up. It's seeing concerts on a big screen kind of thing again and doing films like Bond. So someone take yeah. the hit because we can't fill a cinema with our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we would if we could. Yeah. Aaron, anything to add? I wonder if they've put it out there because they're trying to say to everybody else, look, we'll go if you'll go. And they don't want to do it by themselves. But if they can convince other films to do it and as a group then nobody loses money because everybody's decided to do it and that will help everybody save money so maybe it's just an invitation to the rest of the industry uh, and we just need to watch to see if that develops 
Yeah. MGM have rejected the bids because I think they wanted silly money for it as an equal to what we want out of the box office sort of money. And then I think Apple bid $600 million and that was rejected. Or maybe they were asked for $600 million. It's one of the two. I don't know. It just seems to be because of when they decided to move, it just seems to be the film that everyone's eyes are on at the moment because they expect them to do something, whether it is stick to their guns or not. But every movie studio is waiting for someone to take the plunge so that they don't have to. And then they'll do the analysis based on how that performs. Yeah after the fact, which means that no one's going to do anything in the foreseeable future. It's just a sad fact of entertainment life at the moment, unfortunately. So next discussion point, there was a picture of Tom Holland dressed up as Nathan Drake for the Uncharted movie. Uncharted is a video game series I really like, but I don't understand this film. I'm going to rise against it because it's a film that's based on a game that's based on over-the-top action movies. So... There's already a couple of degrees of separation there. And also, Tom Holland just looks like he's cosplaying as Nathan Drake. It's almost like we're doing a photo shoot of famous actors dressed as video game characters. And that's what it looks like. (laughs) And Mark Wahlberg as Sully. What's going on there? There was a picture of him with a moustache recently. I don't understand this film at all. Just play the games. Because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be Nathan Drake moving from set piece to set piece. Which is what the games are already. The only difference is I get to play those. I now want to see you in similar cosplay since you're saying that you can already play that way. Well, no, I can play the game. Craig's Halloween costume sorted out now. (laughs) I've said this before, I've not played the games because I've not got the platform to play it on. But a lot of video game movies are not particularly standout films some of the Lara Croft stuff isn't particularly great, and I'm kind of comparing it to that because it's sort of archaeologist, hunter-adventurer type character does stuff. So yeah, it's Tomb Raider with a dude. That's what the games are, essentially. Tomb Raider with a dude, with a bit of Indiana Jones flair, with Tom Holland, who is a bankable actor for that kind of role, playing him. So, yeah, it might be great. I think it's probably going to come out as okay it'll have some good set pieces it'll have some good action scenes i'm not particularly massively jumping up and down for it because i don't have any investment in the character maybe if and i had mark Wahlberg games, will be there for some reason yeah and mark Wahlberg will be there so why not so yeah i'm kind of on the fence with it really i'm gonna rise against just because i don't really have that much of a connection to the character and i don't see quite why it's needed but it might be okay on the face of it. We've got one still. That's all we've got. So, Aaron, any thoughts or just echoing? Well, yeah, I think I probably said my piece at the start when we were talking about video games turning into films. I'm not going to be able to wait anything more to that. I have no reason to be connected to this one over the others. I mean, yeah, if I played the game, sure. But without that, I got nothing. So speaking of video games to films... And we already mentioned Resident Evil earlier. It's all coming together, amazingly. So there's a Resident Evil reboot film that has, they've confirmed a cast. And this reboot film is not connected to the Netflix series that they're making, which is also not connected to the animated Netflix movie that is also being made. So it seems like we have three different Resident Evil continuities kicking about at the same time. (laughs) Four if you include the last film franchise. (laughs) So this isn't going to confuse audiences at all. But... The casting for this film I did find very interesting. The full cast, as we have it at the moment, we've got Kaya Scodelario. I'm 
probably butchered the pronunciation. She was in Maze Runner. She was in Chris. You'll love this. She was in Crawl. She was the lead in Crawl, <laughs> alligator film. She's in that. She's playing Claire Redfield, who is a character from some of the games. Hannah John Kamen, who was in Ant Man and the Wasp. She was the ghost. I think her name was the woman that phases through stuff. I think she was called the ghost or ghost or something like that. She's going to be playing Jill Valentine, who's another character, a good character from the games. Robbie Amell, cousin to Stephen Amell, who is in Flash and Arrow and so on. Recently, Upload, which is a TV show that I watched, which was pretty good. Chris Redfield, he's playing, who was originally played in the films, the aforementioned previous film series, by Wentworth Miller, of all people. Tom Hopper is going to play Albert Wesker. He's in the Umbrella Academy. I haven't seen the Umbrella Academy yet, so I don't know who Tom Hopper is. We've got Avon Joja, I think is pronounced. He was in Zombieland as Leon Kennedy. And Neil McDonough, he's going to be in it Ooh. as William Birkin. Yeah, we've got a great villain there. Yeah. <laughs> Neil McDonough, you cannot beat the guy as much as you want to try. <laughs> so it looks like a good cast as far as I'm concerned. Some people are kicking off a bit because they don't look like the... CGI models of the original characters. Some of them are slightly race altered and things like that, but it's a good cast. I'm interested to see how they pull that together. Apparently it's going to be a sort of blend of Resident Evils 1 and 2. So you've got a bit of mansion horror, a bit of city horror maybe. So I love the Resident Evil franchise and I am quite excited to see what this potentially more faithful adaptation will look like and feel like so pretty cool yeah and it sounds like a really interesting cast for the movie so yeah definitely interesting it's it's very funny that there's sort of multiple versions of the same thing popping up at the same time it's like all the rights yeah, came up really on fun. the same day and they all got <laughs> snapped up and they're all trying to go first and have accidentally announced all their things at the same time so but interested in it yeah it's not a franchise that i'm massively all over to be honest but it does sound like a good cast Aaron, any thoughts? I like the DC stuff. I'm afraid you've stepped outside of my wheelhouse, so I'll leave this one with you. Okay. Next up, we'll discuss Dexter is a show that's coming back, which is not something I'm excited about. I never watched Dexter. It didn't appeal to me. Apparently the ending was crap, so they've promised the new ending won't be the same as the old ending, because they have to say that, because otherwise people will say, this is crap. So that's fine, I guess. I'm going to rise against it because I don't really care. I feel like Dexter should have just finished and then just stayed finished. Seems like nothing finishes anymore, weirdly. So I can't wait till Supergirl comes back in a few years until they revive that. Let's hope. Yeah. Either of you watched Dexter? Yeah, faithfully, actually. Because as well, it was something I could watch with Laura, with my partner. That was a good show. I haven't been able to watch The Boys because she doesn't like things to be too overtly brutal or gross and the boys season two opens with a guy pulling people's heads apart using their jaws to do so so that could not be watched in this household but dexter we managed to watch and there's a slight change i'd make to what you said it's not that they won't keep the ending it's more that he said he's not making another series to go directly on the end of of what was so he is going to disconnect it. He's actually on record. Michael C. Hall, this is. He was very diplomatic about it. He said, I wouldn't have ended it that way. And he was pressed to say, how would you have ended it? And he did actually give something that 
without having spoken to many people about it, Laura and I both thought that would have been a better ending. There were two ways we thought it could end. And he did actually pick one of those two. So I don't know what happened with it, but the last season at least, if not the last two, but certainly the last season was just nuts. It's almost like people said, what are we going to do? We've done all the plots. What's possibly left? Oh, I know. We'll go back to old Shakespearean plots and have really over-the-top crazy shit. Um, All right, okay, well, that's going to be rubbish then. And it was, and <laughs> and the the ending was was very unsatisfying because there were two very clear emotional endings, and he just goes away was neither of those two possible emotional endings. I think he's been Michael C. Hall's been given the option to give us a proper emotional ending, a meaningful ending for this character. That you can see, you know, people loved. I think he liked playing at the start, but he's the one that called it quits at the end. It wasn't them saying, oh, no, you can't have any more seasons. It almost felt like he was saying, okay, after season seven, maybe I'm not so interested anymore, but I'm pledged for season eight, so you can have it, but that's it. But now if he's got control, he can do what he wants. So I am going to watch it because purely of what he said in that interview, as I said, when he was asked, what would you have done? His answer was significantly, significantly better than what we got. So definitely Neil before, because it seems at the moment like the right person is in charge of the scripting. Cool. Okay. I know that when they brought back Prison Break, everyone was excited and then it came back and everyone was like, actually, that wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. It probably shouldn't have came back. So maybe it'll be one of those. I don't know. I wouldn't watch it anyway. I've not watched Dexter. I'm not that interested in it. Obviously, it's a very dark show, so it's very in your yeah. area of interest where not so much mine so chris did you watch dexter do you care about this i watched a little bit of dexter but i never got fully into it it was one that i had on this continual list of oh i should go back and give it another go but i never quite picked it back up cool so kneeling before rising against it coming back on the fence really i don't i don't really mind it coming back i'm not angry at it coming back i'm just yeah <laughs> i'm just not as interested sure fair dues Okay, next up, I'm going to pick Simon Kinberg of X-Men fame and Fantastic Four and so on. Is writing a Battlestar Galactica movie. I I guess it could be good. I'm just not that interested. I think the TV series was great and I still think it's great. And do I want to see another take on it, another adaptation? We're still getting this TV series that's a continuation and not a reboot, apparently, so it's another one of those. We're going to have multiple versions of this vying for your attention. I just don't know what the concept can be now, really, after they've explored it to an extent in the 2005 series so or 2004 series, whenever it started. It's interesting that this has been picked up a bit further because it's currently getting re-shown on the BBC in the UK, the Battlestar Galactica TV show. Let's not go into how that happened, because how did that happen? <laughs> I know, it's just sort of started getting shown in there. So it's a bit of a random bit of it popping up and appearing. So interesting that it's getting a film as well. I'd be curious as to how they're going to try and either sum up or just cover part of this as a film. Potentially they're just covering a little spin-off part that's nowhere near actual Battlestar Galactica. I think that's probably more likely the direction that they would go. 
but I'm still curious to see what they're doing with it. I'm more interested in what they're doing with the TV continuation. But the whole point of Battlestar Galactica in the first place was that this has happened and will happen again. So when they're saying continuation in a Battlestar Galactica sense, I'm always thinking, oh, so we're going another thousand years on. Well, the TV continuation, it started off as, we're rebooting this. And everyone's like, no, don't reboot it. We hate this idea. And then like, actually, we really meant it was a continuation. <laughs> it's a quick change your scripts, people. <laughs> Get on the phone to Eddie. James almost sees... He's got to come back. They won't let us rest if he doesn't come back. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to rise against the film idea because I'm just not sure how they can do it better than the miniseries, to be honest, as a kind of introduction for the concept. So, Aaron, what do you think? I am so invested in Battlestar, it would be hard to say no to anything. But I'm wary because Blood and Chrome was a reasonable... TV film and I didn't necessarily get any more out of it than that so that direction of sort of TV film being like a double episode didn't really go anywhere for me equally Caprica I really enjoyed Caprica except for the part where they told it was cancelling so quick end it it's like what are you doing don't try and end something that was clearly going to take 10 seasons or whatever and do and end it in one season with a massive monologue at the end that was ridiculous but the problem with Cambrica was at the time people wanted more of what they already had and Caprica was too different Caprica was a real spin-off into a different genre not a totally different genre but different enough you know one was sort of military science fiction and the other one went into sort of almost a domestic yeah drama like family drama it was thriller in there and so on and the problem was that came too close to the launch of the original if they said now all this time later we're doing caprica then i think enough time has passed where people could say right i don't want the original now i am looking for something different you could do that genre change and it would be much more successful. Now it is too late, Caprica's been and gone, but it is the existence of Caprica that makes me think there is room for something else here. There is room for taking a universe and going into a different genre, and I want to see that. I'm not sure where they go, though, because Caprica picked the real burning question. How did the Cylons come about? How do we deal with the fact that we've essentially enslaved a group of sentient beings? And how is our society going to progress, given that we have actually done that? Let's draw parallels to the problems that we see in modern society now with racial politics, where there was actually previous enslavement. And it would have been relevant. It would have been up to date. You'd even have the religious angle, and we've got lots of problems with clashing religions still, which makes it even more topical. It could have been even slightly dangerous because it would have been so relevant. And it all would have been in the realm of science fiction where you can actually explore these very pertinent issues of the day. And all that put together, I'm like, oh, my God, I need to see Caprica right now. So if they just say, right, we're doing another film and it's going to be military science fiction, let's shoot some Cylons, it'd be like, ah, no. But if they say, right, <laughs> science fiction, where can we take this? 
How can we get back to the roots of science fiction where we explore what humanity could be? Yeah, I'm in. I'm right up for it. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say there is room for Battlestar Galactica to stay relevant. And I want to see that. And I will kneel before that possibility knowing full well that there is a trap waiting to be fallen into. But now I'm kneeling before and hoping for the best. My gut feeling is that we're going to get just a film that's the attack of the colonies and them trying to escape that. And then it'll end with set up for a sequel where we're out in the space wilderness now and we have to find Earth. And then they might do a sequel if people watched it. Essentially what the miniseries was. And that's them falling into the same trap. So that's them doing a reboot without doing a reboot, which is everything that was wrong with Lost. When that's said, oh yeah, it's not really purgatory. It's just this space where people go after they die to think about what they did. And really, that's not purgatory, is it? Oh, okay, (laughs) fair enough. So it's so easy to fall into that rewrite, no rewrite, what we do in setup. I hope it's not that, but I fear the possibility. Cool. So next discussion point is Netflix are doing an Assassin's Creed TV series. I didn't like the film. I've long since gotten bored of the games because it's the same one every year and there's only so many tailing missions I can sit through these days. So the Assassin's Creed brand, I used to associate it with enjoyment. Now it's just tedium. So I don't know. It's a good idea as a concept. So with a TV series, there's more chance to play with that, I guess. So I guess we'll see, but I'm not that excited, so I'll rise against for now. There's maybe something they can do in the TV format for it that they couldn't do in a film, and I'm sort of interested in that a little bit. I think with a good budget behind it, the fact that you're sort of jumping potentially into all these different time periods could make it a really interesting show if it's given the right budget carry that off i'm not huge on the games themselves they can be fun to play for a bit but like you say you can kind of get bored of doing repetitive tasks again and again and again and again it's like going to work it's like going to work exactly it can feel a bit like that i think the thing that's impressive about these games is this big open playable world that they manage to put your character in i love an open world that you can explore as much as you might be locked off by your character's ability to tackle the goons in a particular area or there'll be some sort of in-plot reason why a particular bridge is closed or blocked or whatever to kind of keep you sort of within the right area at that point of the game and to bar certain content from you, that you can still explore. You can still walk about and you kind of can discover the story naturally rather than being forced down a particular path in order to get there. I always like those sort of open world games like Fallout and Assassin's Creed does a variation of that, I suppose. Yeah, the potential is you can have one season that's set during a particular time period or where they continue going back to a particular time period. And I guess you can swap out the cast season on season as they move through different eras. There's potential there, for sure. It's one of those ones where if they do like you say, set it across multiple stories, multiple time periods. They could have fantastic guest casts for particular seasons. They might be able to actually pick more people that way because you're not going to an actor and going, you're going to be in this for the next six years. You're going, you're (laughs) going to be this really interesting character for this particular season. Are you up for that? Yes, great. And then they can carry on. You can sometimes have the problem, though, where in a show where you should do that, 
they go, well, people liked that character last season, so we're going to kind of keep it where it is. Westworld has had that problem, where as soon as you take the characters out of Westworld, everyone goes, oh, well, oh, but, I, but I like that character. All right, okay, well, we'll, we'll keep them in in this particular way. Oh, and I like that character. All right, well, we'll need to keep them in and try and crowbar it this particular way. It's like once you take the characters out of that bit, they can sometimes struggle. They can't commit to dropping characters after a season, which I think is what would be great about this if they had that, not stunt casting, but you know what I mean? You could have a really good pick out and choose out of this. Yeah. Aaron, thoughts on Assassin's Creed? You actually liked the film, unlike a lot of people. Yeah, I thought there were actually some really good things in the film. Like I stand by what I said earlier about, I'm not sure there's any really amazing games turned to films, but I did get enough out of Assassin's Creed film that made me think that there was something there. There was somebody had actually got some writing ideas and they really could have gone somewhere with it. And as Chris says, the potential for creating a really good TV show is also there based on everything Chris described. And add to that, you've got the mysterious organization in the background pulling the strings throughout time. It's kind of suited for an episodic show, it, it's almost like it does fit into the genre already that it's going to be that science fiction TV show genre. So I'm definitely excited based on just what you guys have described for what it could be. I think Assassin's Creed Revelations was possibly one of my favorite video games of all time as well. And because I didn't play all of the games, I'm not necessarily as tired of it as you. You know, I didn't go through every single one. But the idea that you can drop into these characters backwards and forwards, you get some really good people playing them. I just feel like it already meets the requirements to be a TV show, and they won't have to try and cram in some basic template into two hours. They'll be able to explore this mystery. What are the evil people doing? Where are they going for? Right, get back in the machine that does the thing. We've all seen those time travel shows. Get in the machine go and solve the problem and come back. So it could be that episodic thing where it goes through a different thing every episode, goes and solves a different problem every episode. They're almost quantum leap, go that route. Or you could do what you've already described. Mm. And every season, is it right? Ezio Auditori, brilliant, right. You're season one. All right, brilliant. Okay, what we're doing now. Season two, off you go into completely different time zone, ancient Egypt. At season three, right, American Civil War. So there's so many different ways of doing it, but all of it fits into this idea of, yeah, you've got a perfect villain and you've got a perfect idea for a small group of people desperately fighting against them with some powerful technology. I suppose in that case, it could be in danger of just repeating previous time travel shows. So like with the film that didn't really lean into being unique enough it just tried to say let's paint this white and like the, the assassin creed cloaks are oh brilliant there we go the ideas they had they didn't lean into them hard enough to make a really good film and i would want the tv show to do that think about what makes it unique give us that i'm really excited at the possibility again <laughs> i mean it's all that isn't it it's all we hope for this amazing thing we've got in our head mm. But I'm totally on board for yeah. it because even if I'd not read the news, if you'd have just told me now, based on what you guys have just discussed, I'd be totally up for it. Yeah. The thing is, with a film, the, well, it's not quite time travel. It's more just accessing memories. Well, yeah, but, but that's the plot of the actual video games as well. So, 
Yeah, but th- that was only ever used to inform a set piece. So you never got anything out of the time period that they ever went to. So it's just, oh, yeah, we can have a chariot race or whatever in this time period because that's what the physics of the universe allows us to do. Whereas they could anthologize it a bit with, as I said, one season is one guy, next season, different time period, another guy. But it all has to feed into the same plot as well. It all has to be, we're looking for something or we need to visit this time period because information is there that we don't have and we need to access it through your ancestral memory. So that needs to be the kind of through line. And I think the games have almost completely moved away from that now. It's just, yeah, whatever, people just go and play in these time periods now and that's what it is. So... There's a lot of potential there, I guess. As there is with everything, I suppose. But, yeah, we'll see. I'm just not that fussed about it at this stage. But we'll see. Maybe I'll get more excited as we see more and hear more. But something I am excited about, Power Rangers. They're rebooting it again after the film came out to critical acclaim but didn't make enough money, so they abandoned it. It's a shame it was a good cast. The film was really good. It was like The Breakfast Club, but with Power Rangers. It was very, very good. And I think people should give it another go. But what they're doing now is they're going to do some kind of combined movie TV project. I don't know if that's combined with the current TV show that's running or whether it's going to be some kind of splinter thing or whether there's going to be some kind of Power Rangers multiverse, which there very well could be. So I don't know, but I'm excited. And the idea of seeing Power Rangers, but with money spent on it, is always something I've wanted to see. And with the movie, kind of got that, but then they never continued it. So I'll kneel before this. No problem. Now, all the money they got for the movie was their Krispy Kreme sponsorship money that they got from the last one. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I don't see why not. It's a good concept. It's a good show. If they throw some money at it, maybe they can make something out of it, something a little bit more. They tried and missed a little bit with the last one, so maybe they'll get it better this time round. They and- succeeded, but nobody watched it, so they didn't succeed. Yeah. the worst kind of failure. <laughs> I don't know whether it was that they released it at the same time as some other bits, so it didn't get seen by enough people to then pick it up and relaunch it in the way that they expected. And maybe this will be their chance to have that do over and get it seen by more people. Yeah. Aaron, do you have thoughts? So I'm afraid I have zero connection to Power Rangers. I don't know. Was it after my time, I guess? I can't remember when it was. Well, I was watching it in the early 90s. Yeah, maybe it was just after me. So, I don't know. Go Green Ranger. I don't really know. <laughs> I've, just got no, I've just got no connection, I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe you can watch this new one. In fact, watch the film that came out okay. and see what you think of it. I'm sure you can get hold of it quite easily. I'm not going to say how, but I'm sure you can. <laughs> so, the last non-Marvel thing, Bride of Frankenstein is getting another version which is not connected to the Dark Universe. Not the same Dark Universe that Aaron likes about the DC films. The actual Dark Universe that died because they decided there was going to be a Dark Universe without actually making a good film first. They just decided, we're having a shared universe. You need some kind of quality content. No, no, no. Shared universe and then the quality content. Nope, no quality content. Tom Cruise mummy film. Just rubbish, but never mind. So this is just a Bride of Frankenstein film and it's got Scarlett Johansson in it because of course it does. And I do love the description when you bear in mind that Scarlett Johansson's in it. So the blurb that we've got, a woman created to be the ideal wife, or an ideal wife, 
Scarlett Johansson. Completely matches up. I'm already buying it. The singular obsession of a brilliant entrepreneur rejects her creator and is forced to flee her confined existence, confronting a world that sees her as a monster. It is on the run that she finds her true identity, her surprising power, and the strength to remake herself as her own creation. So it's a very much a finding yourself sort of film after being forced into a certain life. It's not a new idea, but framing it through the Frankenstein lens could work very well. So I'm going to kneel before this. Potential is there to be something. I assume it's now completely divorced from all dark universe connections and it's a standalone thing by itself. Yeah, they're just making these monster movies now rather than trying to come up with a grand plan where they all fight Thanos at the end or something. That's a good thing by itself. So it's going to be a thing that stands alone and have its own theme and purpose. So it sounds like it could be very relevant if they go... I don't well, I know. I mean, it sounds a bit 1950s is the theme because we still have, obviously, gender politics, but being created as a perfect wife, it sounds like it's more of a commentary on that 1950s perfect housewife setup rather than some of the more modern problems of not being able to get somewhere in the workplace. So I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Actually, it sounds like it could have something to say about modern issues or or maybe it is just, what did you say? An obsession with the superficial yeah, and all that kind it, of stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. I think it, it's, I could be interested. I'm just not sure because they've pushed the gender politics so hard without necessarily putting it into a context of the actual plot it is just a woman finds her freedom but i've said that too lightly to say that's not worthy but she has bolts in her neck so <laughs> i don't know i feel like it's not enough information to go on is it somebody riding the coattails of a modern problem and just trying to make another film to make money out of it which is a bit cynical but do i think producers are above doing that not even the slightest i think people could do that or is it going to be a film it's actually got something to say. I guess I hope that. Don't know. Struggle to make a prediction based purely on what we've seen so far. I love this idea of everyone sitting around trying to figure out who are we going to cast in this thing? Who would audiences believe that someone would literally build the perfect wife out of? And then someone's like, Scarlett Johansson? It's like, yep, phone her agent. That'll do. She's very much that kind of image of modern beauty i guess even then though the way that you've just described it it almost sounds like it's going down the first route not the second route it's just let's just lock into the problem people and it'll all work out from there (laughs) okay fair enough oh you're offering me lots of money i'm in it's starting to sound a bit creepy that way i just feel like oh god does that mean it is just a bunch of people wanting to make a bunch of money off what they've seen on the internet i guess it could start out that way being really creepy as in she's been created to look this way and be this way and for this person that's created her. And then that's the catalyst for her wanting to leave because it's like, oh, this is unpleasant. But in this case, we all know that she has the range as well to transcend that. To coin a phrase, she's not just another pretty face. She's very good at what she does and she clearly has range as an actress. So I think they'll be able to toe that line really well. I hope so. I think it's possible. I don't know anything about the production team director or anything to comment. Chris, what do you think? I don't think this is particularly for me. Uh, it doesn't scream out to me as, oh, this is going to be great. Maybe it will, but Scarlett Johansson, I've got tons of time for. 
The story itself, don't know. It depends on how they put it all together, I suppose, in the end. Some of the concepts you've talked about sound quite interesting, so maybe it will work out. I still don't think they've quite got rid of their universe of monsters idea that they had going on. I still think they've got that on the back burner, but let's see. I'd love to think that they've gone, oh yeah, forget it. Yeah, that thing we were going to do, yeah, no. I think they'll then turn around and go, ha ha ha, you thought we had got rid of it, but we haven't. (laughs) Surprise! It's still happening. It's still happening. We're just now doing what we should have done before, which is doing the solo films and then deciding how we're going to pull all this together. Still waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to turn up at the end of one of these movies to try and recruit one of them into the Monster Initiative. Still waiting on that. So, Aaron, are you kneeling before or rising against based on what you've got so far? You talked me onto the fence. As in, I, I, oh, well. this could go so many ways and I have no information to actually decide now. I don't know. I suppose given that we trust Scarlett Johansson, we'll have to go with Neil before. Cool. Chris? I'm pretty much on the fence with this one. I'm just going to rise against because it just doesn't particularly scream out to me as something that I want to watch. Okay. Now let's move on to some Marvel news. So the most recent Marvel news we'll start with is that Oscar Isaac is in talks to do a Disney Plus Moon Knight series which once again shows us that these Disney Plus shows mean business. They're getting top drawer talent into them. And Moon Knight's a crazy and interesting character. So as with everything that they do, pretty much, I'm all for this. Neil before, all the way. And I like Oscar Isaac. I like Marvel stuff. And yeah, it's all for me. For me, this is the bit I feared for a long time. The Marvel films have done such a good job connecting with the entire audience they've managed to go into a global appeal and the probability of that keeping its place when we go into the more crazy stuff seems to decrease to me i'm very nervous when it starts to go really really comic book not because i'm against comic book but the characters like Moon Knight, which I, I've not read the comic books myself, but I, I watched a YouTube on it the other day to get a bit of a rundown of him. It's just nuts. He just out of this. So yeah, he just yeah. changes the universe when his God tells him to. Brilliant. Or he can go with anybody. He can fight with the Avengers because he's super powered, but he also gets involved in the street level stuff because he's amazing and he's a God and he can do everything. He's not really a God. He follows a God, but let's face it, he's a God because he can do everything. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, though, okay, well, if he's got no limits and he can do whatever he wants and he's got all the powers of all the main characters, if that's the phase of the moon he's in and his God decides it is, oh, and by the way, he's going to be Doctor Strange because he's going to get you involved in all the really funky, weird stuff that is just out there and crazy. And I'm just, no, I think you've just lost control. The, the, the suspension of disbelief has been handled so well so far because it's not too over the top. It's not too crazy. You've had your Doctor Strange stuff with Dormammu, but it ended so well because he turns up on this other plane and tricks this being with a bit of wordplay and a bit of good deal-making. And that's very human. That's very believable. But if it ever descended into Harry faces Voldemort with the glowing wands of light colouring, you will lose people from your Marvel universe. And the danger with someone like Moon Knight, where it's, ah, so the rules of the god plane are this. 
all right, when you've either got to have 20 minutes of exposition to explain to me the new rules of the universe, <laughs> or you've just got to go into the Harry Potter says bright light of damnation on Voldemort. And, and that's the battle. Who's got the biggest light stick here? You get to win. <laughs> and it, it will ruin it. So I'm worried. I trust them because they've done such a good job so far. But this is the point I feared for a long time. And I was already worried about it with the next Doctor Strange film. Can they ground something called, what's it called again? Can the you multiverse ground of something that is called the multiverse of madness into something that has got that same global appeal? And I'm not saying you can't. I have no reason to say that it's absolutely not possible. I just fear it's about to take off and won't be able to retain that grounded nature. And I trust Doctor Strange because of how they did that scene where he beats Dormammu. Okay, you proved it. Okay, I've got to give you that. So I'm ready for next Doctor Strange because I believe in it. But okay, enter the guy whose powers wane and wax with the moon and he can do whatever he wants when his god gets a bit angry that day. Oh, no, you've just triggered me a bit there. I'm not convinced you can do it. So I guess I have to watch because I don't know. But I'm worried now. He's the one that's worried me. This character is the one that worries me. <laughs> They'll probably make significant changes, I would imagine, just as they have with a lot of stuff. But yeah, I think the MCU is heading into weirder territory now with WandaVision, which is out soon. Don't know when, but it's out soon. So that's going to be nice and weird by the looks of things and the Doctor Strange movie and the Eternals and all this stuff. So I don't know. I guess it'll see what their angle is once they adapt it. But getting Oscar Isaac in is really encouraging to me. I like the guy a lot. And so the fact that this project has interested him enough to at least talk about appearing in it and the fact that it's going to be on Disney Plus as well, it just shows how much clout they're putting behind these things. It's not just, oh, we're going to make a silly cash-in TV series. It is we're doing something really serious and really important in the context of our wider universe. Actually, I won't challenge that, and I, I totally understand that, and I, I, I feel the same to the commitment. But you see how you mentioned WandaVision? I'm really excited for WandaVision. I definitely want to see it. One of the reasons I really want to see WandaVision is because, again, of all the series that's going on to Disney+, Plus, the super shows, this is one I think I might be able to watch with Laura, who's totally not into this at all. But I described it to her the other day, and it piqued her interest. But the way I described it... I didn't have to lie, but I could describe what's actually going on. The woman creates her own universe is the bit that you think, oh, oh. if I'd have said that straight away, Kira, then she would have just said no. But when I actually describe the idea that it's a woman who's lost her partner and who is so distraught by that, she creates a world around herself to fulfill that hole in her life. What I'm telling you here is this is not necessarily pure science fiction. This is drama. This is someone who's really upset and who's got to find a way of coping with this emotional problem that is something all of us can feel. But she happens to be able to create universes as well. Oh, but you can get something good out of that because they're actually giving you Samantha from Bewitched. And then you move on to another episode where we get to live through the 70s, you know, and this, that and the other. If you start describing it in that way you're really grounding it in something first of all you're grounding it in believable emotional trauma faced by everyday people oh and by the way everybody loves to see 
those old pastiches of 1950s shows, 1960s shows, 1970s shows. We love going back to those. Again, I've grounded in something everybody likes. So WandaVision is something that is immediately accessible, despite the fact that it is most definitely multiverse bending. But you don't have to rely on the multiverse bending to get a good story out of it, because the other stuff has already come in. I think what I'm saying then is I kind of want to make sure this Moon Knight guy doesn't come in and go, <laughs> look what I can do. And it's like, yeah, that's not what I'm interested <laughs> in here. Find what you can do. But can you tell me why it's relevant to me here? I might still like it. The reason I'm afraid is if you don't do something like WandaVision's done, is people who are not interested in the deep comic book stuff will start to look away. And we all know, as you said earlier, these bubbles have to burst. If they don't be clever, they could burst it themselves. So I'm just worried about, is Moon Knight a big giant pin? (laughs) I think they are moving to a kind of different plane with the Marvel films, the slate that's upcoming, things like The Eternals. When you start searching up stuff like that, it just kind of goes a bit off the wall. WandaVision is very experimental, very interesting sound, but very experimental. Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness is going to make changes and things, I think, to MCU canon and open the doors for a lot of different bits to happen. The thing with Moon Knight, I have a bit of a problem with power creep in running series, be it TV, be it film. The problem is that the more powerful your hero is, the more powerful you've got to make your villain. And it ends up being this ever escalating fight where it just gets so ridiculous that you're like there's no reason why this person would ever be in trouble unless you start writing in the bit where oh well just occasionally it won't work when the plot says we don't want it to thank you which is awful yeah it's one of those if your hero is so powerful then your villain needs to be equally as powerful or even more plot schemey where they've got as much blackmail material over your hero as possible (laughs) to sort of hold them hostage or ransom and it just becomes a bit ott you can get to the point where you have the thanos thing with the armies and the portals and everyone having to unite to take them down wave after wave after wave that works to an extent but then in the end it's your nuclear missile of captain marvel coming through and destroying the ship in a oneer that manages to turn the tide of the battle in the end And you have to have an excuse for that character to be completely off the board for the majority of the film. Otherwise, stuff gets resolved too quickly. And the more characters like that that you introduce, the more your multiverse expands, the more the universe around your characters expand, the more you sit there as an audience member and go, well, why aren't they just calling their pal that has the magic doohickey that can do the thingy and fix all this now? Why isn't Peter Parker on the mobile phone to Doctor Strange to solve this right now? Or... Why isn't this character pulling in this resource that would be really helpful at a time like this? And then when the writers realise that, it becomes a big long tail of very awkward, oh, I don't have their number, or they're off-world right now, or they're away with their own problems to deal with kind of subtext. And you're like, okay, so they're connected up until the point where you don't want them to be because it solves too many things. And I think that's kind of where the Marvel films are going. They've already done that. Yeah, they've already done it. And they're going into more obscure territory, and maybe that's a good thing, because maybe 
they need to do something different. If they were to spit out more of the same, people would say, ah, you're just rehashing the same thing that we've already seen. Oh, this new character. Oh, this is the Tony Stark-like character that you're going to have. Oh, this. This is your Steve Rogers-type character that you're going to have going mm-hmm. forward. And I don't think we want that. I think we want something different. But the more weird it goes, you've got to try and coax the audience in with you. Because if you do that too much, your casual fan base are going to go, ah, do you know what? It's not for me now. If I've got to go off and read 200 back issues in order to understand what's going on in this film, or I have to go on YouTube and watch 20 minutes worth of someone explaining each character to me, then I'm not going to enjoy it as much. Well, that's the job of the project, to tell you everything you need to know about that character. Exactly. So this Moon Knight TV series needs to tell you everything you need to know about their version of Moon Knight. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that Guardians of the Galaxy seemed like an inaccessible concept. And when they brought it out, it was actually quite simple. You know, it was easy enough to follow. So this Moon Knight thing could be the same. And they might make significant changes that either work or don't work. We just don't know at this stage. I'm just excited by the casting or the potential casting. Definitely, Oscar Isaac is great. I think the advantage that Guardians had as a thing was the fact that it was out in space and out of the way. If Guardians had fallen flat on its face, you could go, well, that was an experiment, it was out of the way, and it didn't work, and it's had no impact whatsoever on the plot or the story of what we're doing here on Earth at the moment. Apart from Thanos, isn't it? Apart from the fact that Thanos is in it, but you can still have Thanos floating about and doing things and stones turning up and whatnot. You can write little vague bits that say that they're part of the story. You don't need to erase them from canon. But you know what I mean? They're not a phone call away from the Avengers on Earth. They're unknown at that point. So they've not impacted your bit. Whereas if you're going, okay, you've got Moon Knight, he's on Earth, he's seen everything else that's gone on, he knows about everything that's gone on. So he's instantly tied in to much more than the Guardians of a War as an experiment. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. So other Marvel thing, the only real update on the Disney Plus stuff, other than the fact that WandaVision, which we've already talked about before anyway, Falcon and Winter Soldier are going to be bringing back early MCU characters. So you have to presume that's people maybe like Justin Hammer, the leader from Incredible Hulk, things like that. So as an idea, sure. Apparently they're going to change them a bit, which makes sense because it's so many years later. So we already know that Daniel Brühl and so on is going to be in it. So yeah, it seems like they're mining the canon that they've already established for themselves to tell stories. So that's pretty cool. I think this is going to be the most traditional of the currently announced Disney Plus series, a kind of a an easy in for people, I guess, although it's not the first one anymore, what it was supposed to be. So yeah, I'm all for that. More callbacks to older stuff and framing them in a different way. I'm all for that. This is the only one that I don't know what it's going to be. You say it's going to be the more traditional, but I don't know what that means. I think that's my problem with Falcon, the Winter Soldier. I kind of expect to enjoy it. A couple of guys punching stuff, I guess, is what I mean by traditional. But it, well, I think WandaVision, clear, new, interesting setup. Bring back Loki, get him to make fun of people and do silly things. Brilliant. I forget, you know, that's what I really wanted. They just wanted more Loki. You've got that, good. But this one, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So is it a buddy show? Is it going to be missions? They go on missions for S.H.I.E.L.D.? It doesn't immediately tell you what it's going to be based on just the characters. And both of them were defined by another character that's no longer there. So is that the angle? Or is that a really bad angle? 
So I, I just don't know what to think about it. The fact that they're bringing back other characters almost means nothing to me because I haven't actually established in my head what this one's going to be yet. I don't know if I care that they're bringing back these other people because I don't know what effect it's going to have on what's already there because I don't have any idea what's already going to be there. Fine, they're going to beat people up, you say. Okay. Sounds dull. Why are they doing that? I mean, there's other possibilities that I can start guessing, but it requires me to actually step into a very dangerous realm of stereotyping because they could just say, oh, what if Captain America was black? Well, that's a terrible idea. That's almost just pandering to a given problem. That's not actually allowing Sam to be his own person. He's just been downgraded again to his skin color and say okay well what you said no you can't do that either so i mean should i have known should i have been reading loads of information have i missed information here and i should know what this is already about and i just haven't done my research no they've been vague about it they've been vague about what it's going to be about there's only that small teaser that they released that just shows sam chucking the shield about basically and a couple other bits of footage but yeah there's nothing to go on at this point and they were held back by the fact that they couldn't finish filming it which is why WandaVision was first because I guess they were further ahead with the filming so the release schedule was supposed to be Falcon and Winter Soldier this year WandaVision next year and so on but it's changed now which I guess phase four is something that you can just move around because it's not as connected as previous ones so i don't know well i'm glad i've not missed anything but then i'm gonna have to say again bringing back all characters that to me it's either a sleight of hand trick to make me not look in the right place or it's just generally irrelevant anyway i literally don't care about these other characters coming back i'm more interested in what they're going to do and there is an angle that i've thought of before one of them was giving grief counseling to soldiers and the other one was a soldier who is most in need of grief counseling you've ever come across, given the trauma he went through. And there's an angle. There's a reason to bring them together. Well, it fits in with Sam's introduction as well. Yeah, exactly. First time you see him, he's doing that. And you can easily pick it up with this guy who's yeah, really traumatized. So I feel like there's an angle there already. But because they haven't lent into it, because they've shown me a picture of Sam throwing a shield against a tree... I'm lost to think, okay, so he's going to be trying to live up to the mantle that's been passed. Yeah, okay, but kind of seen that before, and it's a bit icky when it's a black guy trying to live up to the mantle of a white guy. That's a bit of a difficult line to follow these days. So, yeah, no interest in these old characters. Tell me more about the two mains and what they're going to be doing, and then you've got me. Cool. Chris, what do you think? I'm a bit like Aaron. I don't know tons about what this show is going to be. I'm kind of following your line of it's going to be the more traditional sort of show where the two of them are put together to go off on missions to solve a problem that will probably, in the course of the show, add up to actually be a bigger problem than they thought it was. Instead of it being tons of small problems, turns out it's all an overarching big problem that needs solved. Add into that the kind of dynamic between the two, which has been a little bit more fun than some of the films have done little bits with them through Civil War and whatnot that teased that they had a bit more of a fun relationship. So that might play into the show a little bit. I like the idea of the two having their problems, having to solve it out together 
that might work. But the actual news item that there's going to be recurring characters from the past, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Shields have done that to an extent where they've pulled in odd casting from films in the past and gone, oh, well, this person, they, yeah, they were in a thing, so let's have a little shot of them. I don't think the main focus of this is going to be lots of characters turning up from previous films. I think it will be shield style scattering of faces that have been seen in films before or TV shows before, potentially, as well. Yeah, so we'll see, I guess. We do need a proper trailer, and I imagine we'll probably get one maybe after WandaVision, I guess, because that will be their focus for a while. So, yeah, we'll move on to our final point, which is, surprise, surprise, (laughs) Spider-Man. We're back talking about Spider-Man and what's happening with Spider-Man, which is just crazy at the moment. So what it looks like we're getting for this third Spider-Man film is we are getting a Spider-Verse story, it seems, because Doctor Strange is going to be in it. Jamie Foxx is returning as Electro, presumably a variation of the version of Electro he's already played, because that's the character everybody wanted to see again from those films, Electro. Couldn't wait to see more of that. And there's heavy rumours that Tobey Maguire himself and Andrew Garfield are in talks to reprise their roles. So it's all rumour at this stage. There's nothing being officially confirmed or denied, but Sony's statement when they were asked about it, they didn't outright deny it. Instead, all they said was, those rumoured castings are not confirmed. So those six words suggest to me that this is happening. And it's one of those things. It's like when Civil War was a rumour. That was floating around the internet for so long that it almost had to happen, otherwise the wave of disappointment would be unimaginable if it didn't. So it suggests to me that it's happening. And the rumour... Further rumour is that Tobey Maguire is the sticking point because he's asking for more screen time, which, to be fair, he was the one that started all this in a way with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, did way better than anyone could have imagined and sparked this superhero renaissance that we're still in. So, yeah, he wants a bit more screen time. He's probably entitled to ask for that. Whether he'll get it is up for grabs. But what I'd like to kind of chat about was, what do we think of the idea of the three recent live-action cinematic Spider-Men teaming up in a way that is similar to Spider-Verse. Because I think it's an interesting idea. Although I feel like we're missing out on that Spider-Man unmasked and on-the-run story that we were promised at the end of the last one. And I don't know where that's going instead. So maybe it'll still be in there. I don't know. So do we like this idea of having these three Peter Parkers sharing the screen? Because I do. I need to watch the Spider-Verse. I've still not seen it. Maybe if I watch that, then it will awaken an interest in me. But at the moment, I don't think I have it. I'm not against it, but it's not, oh my God, I must see that. It doesn't inspire me by itself, but I'll watch Spider-Verse and then maybe I'll change my answer after that. There's a bit inside of me that's like, oh my God, I want to see this. I want to see these three people sort of bouncing off each other and doing a fun thing. And then I'm like... But that kind of fun bound scene would last maybe five minutes and there's another film around this and how does it work as a piece? I can't quite figure out. To me, that has to be the film. The film has to be about the three of them. There's no point in they just team up at the end and fight Electro. It seems really, really random. And as much as I get exactly what you're saying, that 
basically Sonny's non-denial pretty much means that, yeah, we're working on this and we're going to pull it together. It seems really odd for the way this falls into public consciousness is we've cast Jamie Foxx <laughs> as Electro rather than, oh, we're doing a Spider-Verse film, by the way. It just seems like a very odd form of announcement to put out. Is Oh, we've cast him as his returning character. Spider-Verse, I thought the animated Spider-Verse was great. I thought it was really, really good. And I think you're going to struggle to compete with that in live action because it was done so well. The way it was put together, the master and apprentice style way they did it, I thought was really good. And that isn't the way you're going to get this film. And are they going to be able to do all three characters justice in the same film? And I don't think they would be able to do that. Are they going to give you the conclusion, the wrap-up that the two other characters didn't get? Are they going to tie off bows and things in there to go, oh yeah, we've finished those stories now? I don't know quite what they can put together. I can picture quite a fun film with them picking out a villain from each of their own timelines and smashing them together. Let's take... I don't know, Doc Ock from one. Electro. Or Rhino <laughs> from one. Electro. Because, of course, Electro. And I don't know. The Vulture. Because Michael Keaton. Vulture. Yeah, Michael Keaton. You could put Vulture in, I suppose. But the thing is, getting the Spider-Men together to fight their villains seems like one thing. But then why would all these random villains be either teaming up or working together or bumping into each other going oh we should totally work together it might just be like random chaos the fact that it's spinning out of a doctor strange kind of thing then maybe it's on the back of that well doctor strange will probably be the mechanism to bring these three guys together whatever way it happens and spider-man is due out sort of after doctor strange i think so doctor strange will introduce the multiverse in that way even though it was already introduced in Endgame, sort of. It was actually already introduced in Doctor Strange, but it was just a power source in that movie. They wasn't the whole idea of, you can have alternate versions of all these heroes in other universes, so if anyone dies, we can just replace them with some alternate version. It'll be fine. That's one crutch you can lean on. But Spider-Verse is a film about what it means to be Spider-Man. So as much as they point out how different all these characters are, they also point out where they're fundamentally the same what these fundamental values are that define a Spider-Man or Spider-Person, because they're not all male. Do you know what I mean? So this one, I guess it's the same theme, isn't it? These three people have different backgrounds, they have different lives, they have different ways of doing things, but fundamentally, what makes these versions of Peter Parker much of a muchness? What makes them Spider-Man? What is Spider-Man and who is Spider-Man through that particular lens? And even though we've already seen it and seen it done really well, it's still an interesting one, especially with those two previous cinematic versions of Spider-Man because ever since the Tobey Maguire one established a kind of baseline for a cinematic Spider-Man, arguably the other two built themselves on being different to him, especially the Andrew Garfield one. That first film, there's a lot of, here's what we're doing differently to the previous one, but it's similar and here's why our one is valid as well and then the Tom Holland one he is kind of trying to measure up to larger than life figures that have been around him so you can extrapolate that to 
he's trying to measure up to the Tobey Maguire version, for example. So there's all that to play with. And just the novelty of seeing these three actors. I like the Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker. He's my favourite of the three for reasons that I could go into but won't. And seeing him get another shake at it really appeals to me. And obviously, Spider-Man 3 is divisive. Everyone would agree that Tobey Maguire's conclusion to that role wasn't what anybody wanted it to be. So here's another shot at it. And I don't know, if we all like it, we might get more adventures with these alternate Spider-Men set in different Mm. universes because we've primed the audience for it now and we can do it. And I think that's exciting in a way, or maybe it's just, no, let's not revisit all this. I think it's one where there are so many potential things that they could do that would be great. But equally, I can see an absolute car crash horror of potential that could come (laughs) our way that would be along the lines of, here's the greatest hits of Spider-Man things that we've done. (laughs) Here's this villain and that villain and this scene and this speech and this person and this person and another thing and wham and venom. (laughs) Tom Hardy's here for some reason. Yay. (laughs) And Tom Hardy's also in attendance. And you go, oh, Christ why and they can never justify a reason why it's just that we want to put the most stuff a bit like what we were saying about the snyder cut earlier on someone is sitting there with all the toys out and going i want all of them put them all on screen please i want the lot but sir it makes no sense i want all of them on the screen you know (laughs) i want everything we want to showcase everything that we have done just before we rip this away and put it somewhere else. We want to prove that we've got the capacity to do everything else and have the horrible feeling that they could do that kind of thing with this. I hope that that's not the case. I hope that it's got that bit of potential in there. I think seeing the three of them on screen will be great. You've just got to justify everything else around that. If it's just that, it's a 10-minute scene there's going to be a lot more movie around a 10-minute scene. Yeah, the film needs to be about that for me to make it worthwhile. And another interesting thing is this is something where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is riding the coattails of other things, this whole multiverse concept, because they're late to the party on that one in some ways. Because if you think about it, as audiences, we've been getting primed for this for quite some time now, to a lesser extent, at least in terms of audience viewing. The Arrowverse has been giving us multiverse stories for years now. The DC films are priming themselves for a multiverse story with Flashpoint. They've already said, we're bringing in several Batmen and we're going to be telling these stories and we're going to acknowledge that there's a multiverse and there's going to be different versions of stuff and you're all going to accept it. Spider-Verse already happened. It proves that audiences will accept it and they'll accept it in a big way. So the pre-work has been done. We will already accept it. Also, we saw Endgame, which is a multiverse story, although it isn't called that. They just don't use that word. So audiences will already accept that. So if three Peter Parkers share a screen and they all look different, people are going to be okay with it, I think, by and large. So I think it'll work in that respect. You won't need to do much to get people on board, but it's what you do when the three of them are on screen together. That's the question. But I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for what's potentially there. One of the thoughts that sort of comes to me is that you were saying, what has this got to do with the running away from the law side that we got at the post-credits 
on the last Spider-Man film. It'll be the first five minutes of like, oh, no one believed it. It's not a big deal. Yeah, no one believed it was a hoax. Or he goes to Doctor Strange and ends up doing something to try and escape. Yeah. There's no Doctor Strange there. He tries to do something, and instead he ends up falling through a multiverse's worth of Peter Parker's. <laughs> I don't know. It could be something along those lines where in an attempt to get away or get around something, he does it wrong and ends up going through a multiverse of connected universes or something. I don't think that's necessarily what it's going to be, but that's potentially there. Yeah, we'll see. I'm pretty sure there'll be an announcement soon that they've been confirmed as in the film. In fact, possibly by the time this podcast gets published, it will be out there and will be way out of date. But... I think we're not far off from an announcement. They did say we're going to get our first look at the film in December because it's already started production, so could come with that. I don't know. Well, Tom Holland's already been on set, but he's been on set for about five minutes because he posted on Instagram the other day. <laughs> so I don't know how much footage they'll have to share with you by December. It's like his, but, his sure. Instagram post where he's like, here's me and Toby Maguire. Oh, no, oh, no. I've said too much. And then someone breaks his phone because <laughs> stop leaking all our stuff, Tom Holland. It would be the way of them comedy revealing it. It would be him filming something, some silly Instagram video as he walks around and you know, Toby Maguire pops out a trailer in the background <laughs> or something. That is exactly the kind of way that they would announce Wearing that. his dressing gown and a Spider-Man costume underneath it. Just yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I think it's an exciting time to be a Spider-Man fan and an exciting time to be into that sort of storytelling. And it's all these things that you thought you would never see as well, way back. And we've talked extensively about Crisis and Infinite Earths. We get Brandon Routh's Superman back and we never thought we'd see that. And it seems like the sky's the limit or there is no limit when it comes to these things now where this version of this character that you want to see again, you'll see them again, assuming the actor that played them still alive. And if not, we'll try and find a way anyway. So that seems to be the mentality just now. I mean, everyone talks about the nostalgia and how it's corrosive and so on, but it can give you good stuff like this. So, I don't know. Potentially good stuff like this. Yeah. I keep that proviso there the entire <laughs> yeah. time. Our greatest hits of Spider-Man is not quite what we're looking for in this. So No, we need it to be meaningful. We need it to inform Tom Holland's version in some way. Mm. Because he'll be the one that's taking it forward afterwards. Does he get validation from the other two? Does he learn that, oh, maybe I shouldn't rely on all this Stark tech or whatever. You know, I can do stuff on my own based on these two guys i don't know we'll find out we will find out because it's definitely happening because they haven't said that it's not happening and here it goes so yeah <laughs> aaron any last things on spider-man yeah i don't think i can add anything to your the joy of the fandom that you've produced here that uh, it might it might be happy <laughs> you'll remain cautiously optimistic as usual Cool. Okay, that's time to end. We've been through all the news and we've probably been scooped by something as we speak. There'll be something trending on Twitter that I've not seen and we've missed out on. But that was our discussion of the goings-on in the nerdy entertainment world. So I'm going to thank YouTuber Neil Stenson for the music that I used for the intro and outro. It sounds awesome. And check out his YouTube channel. If you want to catch us, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave comments on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. The podcast can be found on iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, any podcast app you can think of. Chris, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Aaron, also thank you for being here. Roger, roger. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, then please do subscribe, because we need you to subscribe. iTunes users, if you can leave us a star rating and a comment, that would be amazing. But otherwise, you can catch us on the next Neil Before Pod. <laughs>